We'll tell everybody why we were laughing later. I'm, but, sh- uh, I'm shy about it. <laughs> she didn't bring it up. Happy Monday, everybody. EGIM. It's 5 o'clock somewhere. And I want to thank Councilman Ara Najarian for taking time out of his busy schedule and his Monday to be with us. Thank you, Councilman. It's great to be here. Long time watcher. First time interviewee. There you go. Wow. <laughs> wow, look at that. I, I was trying to figure out what he's going to say. Long time watcher. Remember Tom Likas? Long time listener. Long time listener. First time, first time caller. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, jeez. Never Bring gets old. Never gets right old. Well, we thank you for the support. We really appreciate it. Um, you know, this is, it, it's perfect timing having you on, obviously, with uh, city council going on and uh, Glendale USD board uh, elections going on. So, obviously, before we get into certain topics with the city of Glendale and, you know, what future plans are and uh, what's currently going on, let's kind of go out, you know, take a time machine a little back into the past. Talk about you. Because it's funny, we had three guests in the month of, uh, in the month of May, or four guests, and of three of the four from Ohio. It's a great state. And, and you're... <laughs> It's a great state. And, and you're the third one. So t- tell us a little bit about yourself and Ohio and how you ended up in Ohio and obviously Glendale. Okay, great. Uh, well, first of all, thank you guys for inviting me. Let me, uh, so before I can start with my birth, I got to tell you how this all happened. So my dad is uh, a Kesopsi. My mom was born in uh, Aleppo and they met uh, in Beirut at the American University of Beirut. Uh, my dad was in med school. My mom was a nurse, and they fell in love, and they came to Chicago. My dad was training as an orthopedic surgeon with uh, Dr. Hampar Kalikian. Dr. Hampar Kalikian is the surgeon that uh, treated Bob Dole, Senator Bob Dole. Uh, he was, uh, a, uh, of course, a uh, veteran in the U.S. Army, and he was injured in World War II, his hand was all messed up. Dr. Kalikian uh, fixed his hand, and since that time, Bob Dole was one of the strongest supporters for Armenian issues because of that. So my dad's in Chicago. Uh, they get married uh, then, and as a, a doctor does, you have to locate in a hospital. So my dad located in Cleveland, Ohio. So that's For residency. How, for residency, yes, at... Uh, Mount Sinai Hospital in, in Cleveland, Ohio. So they started their family, and that's uh, where I was born, and my uh, two other brothers and my sister. We were all born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. Now, Cleveland, Ohio uh, is a much different sort of community than Los Angeles. Uh, very few Armenians, maybe 200 Armenians in the entire uh greater metropolitan area compared to, I don't know what we have here, how many thousands of families we have. So if you saw an Armenian uh, at a shopping mall and you heard a glimpse of uh, Armenian language, you would like be all over them. It's like, hey, you know, how you doing? Menkayeng, Tukayeng, Gordek, and all that. Um, So growing up in school, of course, there were no Armenians. We didn't have an Armenian club. It was a club of one. Like, that was me. I was the only Armenian in the school. And, of course, with an unusual name to, for, you know, your typical Yankees, uh, you kind of had to prove yourself. 
you had to show that, okay, my name is weird, and you try and educate them about Armenians and educate them about the genocide. But you had to, you know, you had to pull your own weight and then some. You had to show them that, um, you know, your pride, and this is what Armenians are all about. So um, I was, uh, you know, I was a leader uh, through school. I was, uh, I was a pretty good football player. I was captain of the football team, uh, captain of the swimming team, and uh, student council president, and sort of, you know, made a name. If At least people in that area of Cleveland knew what an Armenian was, and that Armenian was like the Najarian family. Um, and my parents were very much uh, dedicated to the community back then, not the Armenian community, but the community in general. So my dad would be the, um, the physician for the local uh, high school uh, sports teams, and he'd donate his time there. My mom would be uh, working for the Red Cross, going door-to-door, getting blood donations, uh, especially like during the Vietnam War. I remember accompanying her, uh, trying to sign people up to give blood for our mm-hmm. troops. So we were very much, uh, we were very much into the community. Uh, proud Armenians, but there weren't that many Armenians around. It was like we were lost. And all our relatives, uh, as you know, Armenians do, were immigrating from uh, Beirut or Aleppo. They'd come over and spend a few months in Cleveland. They'd be like, you know, Cleveland, Ohio is nice, guys, but we want to go to Los Angeles. That's where <laughs> the action's at, yeah. Hollywood. Um, so we just had this stream of relatives visiting uh, uh, Cleveland, visiting our home in Ohio, and moving on. Los Angeles. Um, until it got to a point where no one else came to visit us. Everyone else had gone to, to Los Angeles. And at that point, my dad made the big decision of, you know what, we're going to move to Los Angeles also. And that was, in, uh, that was in 1980. And I was in college then. I transferred uh, schools to, uh, I, I was at Bucknell University, which is in Pennsylvania. I transferred to Occidental College. And, which is right here in Los Angeles. And I was, uh, again, I was playing football, captain of the football team there. And it's there that I met Barack Obama. Barack Obama was a classmate uh, at Occidental College. Uh, so kind of freaky. Um, he went a little farther in politics than I have. <laughs> a little bit. But, but that's okay. <laughs> Just a Just tad, a tad, tad bit, yeah. <laughs> that's all right. Um, Sounds familiar. What, what was he doing at Occidental College? Uh, he was a student there. From Chicago? No, so or, he was from Hawaii. Oh, right. He, so was from he Hawaii, came from right. Hawaii, spent two years at Oxy, mm-hmm. uh, got into, you know, they say, at least he writes in his book, got into partying a little too much because he'd get all the, the very good marijuana from Hawaii shipped in. Yeah. It was illegal back then, but. He was partying at Giggles or where? <laughs> That's the only club around back then. I'm not sure which club he was at. Maybe uh, it was house parties. He, he would never lie to you, okay? Uh, yeah. And then he left. Then he left and he went to Columbia yeah. and then he went to Chicago. Then he went to Harvard Law School, yeah. et cetera. So uh, I graduated uh, Occidental and then I went on to USC Law School, got my law degree, and uh, started my, uh, my practice. So at the same time, uh, my parents, you know, once they came to Los Angeles, they were, like, enthralled with the Armenian community. It was like heaven for my dad. It's like, oh, my God, look at all these Armenians. Yeah. And he started uh, the very first uh, TV show 
on Armenian Teletime. This is way back, uh, where he would talk about health issues. With Sarki Muradyan. Sarki Muradyan, yes. <laughs> the late Sarki Muradyan. Yes, the late yeah. Sarki Muradyan. Um, and he always had this great love for Armenia. And even though it was communist, you know, he had this like burning love for Armenia. So uh, what he decided to do back in 1985 was to bring to Armenia, of course, you have to get in. It's a communist country. It wasn't that easy then. Bring into Armenia the very first uh, technology for orthopedic, uh, excuse me, arthroscopic surgery. That's a surgery where it's pretty common now. Yeah. Uh, you go into the knee or the joint with just a little hole and uh, there's do a your camera surgery there. and you do the surgery. So he brought that to, to Yerevan in 1985. It was the first Soviet satellite that had that surgery. So Armenia was leading the pack in uh, arthroscopic surgery back in 1985. Wow. And that was great, and he loved that. And he uh, you know, started to develop uh, more and more um, relationship with Armenia. And then, unfortunately, in 1988, uh, the earthquake happened. So he was called, uh, I, I remember it clearly. I mean, we saw it on TV. Oh, my God, a huge earthquake. Uh, Reagan was visiting with Gorbachev in New York City, um, in December of 1988, and then the phone call came, uh, like an hour after we saw the pictures, and it was from the State Department. And they said, we need to fly you to Armenia to give us an assessment of their health care needs. Um, so my dad and two other doctors, um, just with no notice, flew in one of those military planes and landed in the Soviet Union. And that was a big deal, to have an American military plane land in and do that. So we, um, you know, he was there working hard, and we were doing what we could to support. What ended up happening was there were many, many children who had lost limbs in the earthquake. You know, they were crushed, and they had amputations. So uh, my parents, uh, with, with the help of their organization, Medical Outreach for Armenians, and uh, some other very good benefactors, uh, Kosti Shervanyan, uh, you've heard of him, uh, as well as others, helped bring in about 30 of these young, you know, 8-year-olds, 9-year-old kids who had lost arms, perhaps had been orphaned. We brought them to the United States um, to get treatment and get prosthetics so they could lead functioning lives. So we had about five of them staying at our house, and uh, we, we helped them recover, and uh, all of them got the surgeries that they needed, and we uh, eventually uh, flew them back to Armenia. So I was part of that. So that was me, although I wasn't the doctor, I wasn't, you know, the, the prosthetic technician. We were all into this, helping these poor Armenian kids. So that really, like, cemented my, my Armenianism in me at that point. Um, of course, there was the whole rebuilding issues. But then, if you remember, uh, the modern Armenian history... The, uh, the issues with Artsakh began back in uh, uh, 1989. Mm-hmm. And the pogroms in Baku, they were you know, murdering the Armenians there. And then all of a sudden the war started, as you know, in 1989, 1990. And so my dad and mom, of course, and, and other family members, my brother as well, uh, went to Armenia to help them out uh, medically. So my dad... Um, was doing um, field surgeries. He was on the front lines 
doing uh, whatever it was, you know, removing bullets or uh, amputating legs if they had to be amputated. Jeez. Um, and uh, my mom was there too, uh, right next to him, and they would be doing surgeries uh, in basements by candlelight because they were getting bombed. It's it's literally like, literally what happened in 2020. Well, it's you 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 had Armenian doctors from here fly out to Armenia and again try to help as much as they can. Same same scenario back in the 90s. Right. So, uh yeah, this is this. There we go. All right, thank you. Um so um in that war uh we won. Uh, one of the things we did was um, we were asked, of course, the Russians were on our side maybe a little bit. Uh, we were able to get um, radios. They called them the Elenkos. This is a radio system that permitted our troops to communicate with each other. And up to that point, they didn't have that, that technology. So our group was helpful in uh, getting those radio systems together. And that's where they scaled the walls of Shushi. If you remember how they, they took Shushi back, you know, the... The Azeri says there's no way, you know, if you've seen it, it's like a sheer wall. There's no way anyone can climb this wall. That's what they did. They, they climbed it, and they took over. So, um, so after that, we continued our work with Armenia by renovating uh, a military hospital. Uh, this is in the uh, 90s and through the 2000s. Um, their health care system wasn't that great. Uh, they had gotten independence from the Soviet Union, and they needed help. So um, my dad was there and mom uh, and our group and good supporters from, from Los Angeles in creating and renovating the military hospital for the troops uh, in Yerevan. So uh, since then, my dad has been, and mom, to this day, my dad's 92. Uh, you know, whenever he gets a chance, he gets a line on some medical equipment uh, or technology you know, he's in the garage, imagine at 92, like fiddling bo- with stuff. Up, no, he's boxing up these supplies and, and, oh, wow. and sending them out. So, he's still doing it. Still very much into it. So, but he's um, no longer pr- practicing. No, he's not practicing. No, he's not practicing medicine. He, um, I think he probably retired when he was 70 or so. So, he's been off about uh, 20 years, but still very much in love with Armenia. And that's, I guess, the point of all this is that's the kind of family I grew up in, like, like dedicated to Armenia, um, no matter what. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter if, uh, you know, this this president is a crook or that prime minister is, you know, incompetent. The fact was we, we had to do whatever we could to keep Armenia safe, keep its, uh, keep its soldiers healthy, to be ready. We always knew that this day was going to come that happened uh, two years ago the attack by the Azeris. We always knew it. It was just a matter of time. Uh, unfortunately, it happened, and it didn't turn out, uh, didn't turn out the way we wanted. Yeah. So, so that's my sort of Armenian background in this. Um, so what was I doing? So I was practicing law at that time. What area? Uh, I do civil litigation. I do uh, business disputes, personal injuries. I do real estate uh, transactions, real estate trials. Um, and I've been in Glendale since 1988 as a practicing attorney, right on Bramble Boulevard. I've been here in the, in the community. And 
And I also wanted to give back to the community the way my parents were doing and they, the way they taught me. So what did I start to do? I started out being a, um, well, actually, before I was an attorney, I was working in the district attorney's office uh, as a law clerk. So I'm very much a law and order guy. That's where I learned my law and order. When I say I'm law and order, I'm not just talking about it. I mean, I was there. I mean, I was preparing uh, subpoenas. I was preparing the search warrants. With the DA. With the DA's office. In the Glendale office. Oh, in wow. the Glendale office. So it's, it's local. It's not like it's in some faraway city or anything like that. Um, I was working in Washington with our Glendale congressman, Carlos Moorhead. And that kind of got me, you know, whetted my taste for, for politics as well. Um, as an attorney, after you have so many years of practice, you can work as a judge pro tem, temporary judge. So you're in the Glendale courthouse. When the main judge is on vacation, they need someone to, to fill in. And that's what I was doing for several years. Uh, and I loved that. Um, and then I saw the opportunity to get more involved in the city, and I applied for a commission. And I, I strongly recommend anyone who's interested uh, and not just in Glendale politics, but in any sort of local politics, to apply for a commission. There's tons of boards and commissions that each city has. In Glendale, I was interested in the Transportation and Parking Commission. So um, I was appointed in 1996, and I served as chairman of the commission uh, until 2005. But so for, I wanted. But for example, you served as the Commission of Transportation. Right, for Glendale. What do you know about transportation, too? Like, when you say you should apply and serve in the commission, for, I don't know much about transportation yeah. or for me to apply for it and to actually become the commissioner. Well, it reminds me of our commissioner. Who, who's the transportation commissioner for the uh, United States? Yeah. Uh, Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> I think you said that name really nice. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's the, <laughs> if, if you watch don't, his... Don't, uh, don't start with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, he, he's How? the Secretary of Transportation. Secretary, yes, and, of Transportation. And to be honest, what did he know about transportation? Not Absolutely much. nothing. Absolutely nothing. But he had good staff. So for me, my experience was uh, serving uh, in that role as a... Um, as a judge pro tem, a lot of my issues before me were traffic issues, wow. and I understood, uh, you know, a basic level of uh, traffic safety. And uh, serving as an attorney, uh, you'd have some issues with roadway design and all that. Um, but I came in as a rookie. I mean, yeah. I didn't come in as the old pro. I mean, being a PI attorney, you, you serve, you know, you're dealing with all those car accidents going in there. You know, I well, know that's one thing, but to actually. From the way I imagine, uh, let's say, the transportation commissioner, you would have to understand everything related to traffic and how you can adjust it to have less traffic, less this, more of that. Like that That's how I envision right. it. I don't know. I may be wrong, but um, and I don't have an understanding of it. Well, would you work with the police department as well as far as citations and stuff? Or um, Well, we would, when an issue would come up and we would need... Um, we would need uh, testimony from the police. We would work with them. One of the issues we worked with, and this is way back in 1996, uh, was the, uh, the concept of traffic calming. I mean, everyone complains about traffic being bad and all that. So our commission was, the, 
the first commission that started dealing with traffic calming. Traffic calming is a concept in which you use engineering okay. to slow the cars down. And that means things like speed humps, speed, things like uh, striping, things like... Roundabouts. Uh, roundabouts, bump outs, um, striping, uh, crosswalks, and, and things like that. So we were the first one, and we had a list of things that a neighborhood could ask for. One of them was the most controversial was the speed humps. Yeah. Some people liked them. Some people didn't like it. You're screwing up my transmission, my suspension. <laughs> the the police said, yeah, it Bicycles worked. going down Sonora <laughs> at 70 miles an hour. Well, right? it, you're screwing up my suspension. If you're, if, you're, if you're driving over the speed bump at 90 miles an hour, you're going to screw up more than your transmission. I mean, your suspension. See, speed bumps, I'm, I'm a big fan of speed bumps. My parents live on, my parents probably live on the most, Traffic accident prone, accident prone intersection in all of Glendale. They're on Western and Kenneth, and we've multiple times we've asked. That's for why the fire department's there. And multiple times we've asked for speed bumps, speed bumps, speed bumps, and you know the the excuse is it's a fire route. It's a fire route, and it we say route, and we say can we can we have those speed bumps where it's a bump, dip, and then a bump in the middle, so when the fire department is going up the street, they can go up through the middle. And again, it's it just it kind of so brushed so, under the rug. All right, so let me let's talk about that just a little bit. We, yeah, I mean, we we'll, we'll get it. Yeah, yeah, we yeah we have time. no, I don't we're know. done with the show. I don't, do you have a great, me, do you have a meeting at ten p.m. today? <laughs> no, it was so actually nine p.m. Nine p.m. You have a meeting and at nine p.m. No one's going to tell me to to quit talking. All right, all right, good, good, except okay. me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the thing with speed humps is um, they are generally very effective in slowing cars down, unless you're a maniac. If you're a maniac and you go over that speed hump at 50 miles an hour, believe me, you don't feel the speed hump. If you're going over it at 20 and 30, then you get the, the large thing. jolt. Yeah. But hitting it at a high speed, especially in these SUVs, you don't feel it at all. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we were concerned about the primary response routes. Correct. Which is what you're talking about. Yeah. The fire department came to us and said that every when they're taking a – when they're responding to a medical emergency and taking that patient to the hospital, every second counts. I mean, imagine someone who's had a heart attack or maybe a, uh, a young kid who's drowned in the pool or someone that's had a stroke or something like that. Every second counts. The fire department wasn't that crazy about putting humps on those uh, primary response routes because they would have to slow down. They couldn't go over it because the patient would, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. Know, would fly out hit the roof, uh, hit the ceiling of the, uh, the ambulance. ambulance. Yeah. Uh, so we developed different styles. One of those styles are the cutouts where it's wide enough for a, a truck, uh, ambulance or fire truck to, to maneuver over. The other thing is there has to be enough traffic on the road. The road uh, configuration has to be a particular style. It can't be too crowned. It can't be too convex. Uh, it can't be too uh, steep. steep. Uh, so there's all these things that go into it, and the neighborhood. I think there's a 75% of the neighbors have to agree to put them there before the city even looks into it. So there has to be a petition now. Has to be a petition. Um, they are effective. I mean, let's let's be honest. They are effective, uh, but there's ways around it. You know, people that cross over into the middle to use those fire lanes, uh, people that hit it at a high speed. Um, 
So that's what I, you know, that's was uh, that's what I was working on uh, in the late '90s. Uh, I then decided to take it up a notch, and I ran for the uh, Glendale Community College Board of Trustees, 2003, and I was elected in that uh, election. And I spent two years on the board, and at that time we had a, a council member uh, named Gus Gomez. Gus Gomez was an attorney, and he was appointed to be a judge off the Glendale City Council. So he became a judge, and there was an empty seat on council. So I said, you know what? You know, I was watching council meetings, and I was a, I was a big fan of Larry Zarian, uh, who had stepped off in 1999. Um, I said, I can do what these guys are doing. Not that I knew everything, but I think I had the ability to to think about an issue and analyze the issue and take the information that staff gives you, because you don't know everything out right. there. You have to rely on them and make a decision. And I ran in that election, and I, I succeeded. I, I got the highest number of votes in that election. This is for? City Council. Yeah, city Council. Yeah, in 2005. So that's when I started, 2005, with the City Council. And uh, it's at that time, you know, the Americana was, was getting uh, geared up. Yeah. Uh, it had just been voted on, and the voters had approved it, but we had to go through all the technical aspects and issues and the design features, and I was there, you know, from day one working with uh, Rick Caruso and his team, and I don't, regret, uh, I don't regret it one minute. I think the Americana is one of the greatest things that has happened to the city of Glendale. I mean, let's face it. You have visitors from out of town, aside from Rafi's, where do you take them? You take them to the Americana. Americana and say, look at what we got. And most of them say, wow, this is like amazing. I mean, it put, probably, it, it put it, Glendale on the map. Isn't it, isn't it his no, I most think was on the map. extravagant project he's ever done? As next, far as I see. Next to the Grove, Grove yeah. yeah. I think the Americana is much nicer than the Grove. No, no, no. Of it's course it is. Thing, well, it's not well, no, no. Thing. Have you been to the Grove? It's yeah, smaller. Of course I've been to the Grove. It's smaller. But it's thing. the same style. Same, same it's style. style of, I don't know. No, no. I, I think I think the same. No, thing, you you got you can't be, not to be biased. I think the Americana is much better than the Grove. It's like saying the win is the same as the Encore, <laughs> not the Encore. <laughs> uh, yeah, Treasure Flamingo Island. Treasure Island, yeah. because they're both casinos. Circus Circus is the same as uh, the win. <laughs> circus Circus is a better casino. Uh, but see the the argument behind that is the Americana and the land behind the Americana was practically gifted to Caruso. It was, when you say gifted, it was given to him, and he didn't pay us any money for it. Subsidized. Yeah. Right? He, he, we said, we've, you know, and, and don't forget, that part of town was pretty ugly. It was a flat yeah. uh, parking lot with a chain-link fence around it. It was a big five. Garbage. Oh, there was a big five, but the main part right there at Colorado yeah. and Central and Brand um, was nasty. There were some other stores that uh, that were bought and uh, and taken down, but um, I mean that's something that I'm I'm proud I did uh, that I was working with in the city. And a- any city should have done the same if they could have, right? Because you you look at a simple business like. Porto is very successful, but so many cities will give them tax credits and so many benefits to build one in their city. It it brings traffic to the city. It brings in it brings in residents. It brings in traffic. Uh, how long How long was that 
back and forth going with city council and Rick at the time? It was, uh, the, the negotiations were about a year long. And I, and I remember it was 2008 when it was completed, yes. right? May of 2008 was like the grand opening sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's been 14 years. And then the, the economy just... Whew. Right. And it was, it was, it was a crazy, crazy Cost, time. Cost, what, 480 So he was challenged in court by the owners of the Galleria. The Galleria said, hey, remember that, yeah. you didn't do a proper environmental report on this land. There might be dinosaur bones. I think they said there were dinosaur oh. bones. Or, I'm serious. I'm serious. Um, and there was an old uh, pack bell switching building. It was a building where they had the actual switches. And the Galleria said, oh, this is historical. You can't, you can't mess with that. Um, it went to court, but it delayed him one year. Unfortunately, in that one year, the real estate prices tanked. So if he had come out in 2007... Uh, all his condos and everything would have been selling at a great price. There was a time where you could have picked up a... 400000 yeah, 400000 man. What is it now? Like 1.8? Yes. 1 point, they start at like 1.3. And the HOA is like a grand. A grand? Yeah. Fuck. And they're all sold. And they're all sold. <laughs> and and wow. uh, he wishes that he had built 200 See, more. See, it's funny. The Glendale Galleria comes out and says there was an old pack. Was it a pack bell what? A switchboard? Switching, switching station. Switching station. It's like, okay, let's say they found it. What's what's the big deal? Okay, it's a historic... It's a historic... So, what was going on there was, uh, who's more macho? Here's this young Rick Caruso with the swagger, and if you've seen him, you know, he dresses well, and he's you know he knows what like, he's talking about. Like a Pat about. Riley kind of... <laughs> <laughs> going against the old school, um, this was general growth properties at the time, uh, based in Chicago. And they were fighting it out. In fact, there was a design where the Americana would flow into the Galleria and have connectivity and bridges. But the general growth, the Galleria people said, hell no, you know, screw you. We're not going to. I remember any, that. I thought that's how we're it was going to be built. We're not going to have any yeah. sort of connection with yeah. you. Yeah. They're friends now. I mean, oh, they yeah, realize, of course. They're they realize that people that come to the yeah. Americana, first they park in the Galleria for free. Because it's free. <laughs> and then they, you know, they shop in the Galleria. Then they go upscale to the Americana. And then they wind their way back to the Galleria. So they're totally uh, synergistic. Yeah. But at that time, they were fighting. It was a, it was a competition sort of thing. Because I think at the time, they didn't realize that the Americana was more of a kind of higher-end sort of shopping experience, kind of wine and dine and high-end. And then the Galleria was your, hey, it's Christmas time. What am I getting the kids? Yeah, because you need something, you go to the, to the Galleria. That was the first of any building, from what I can recall, where you had retail and residential, right? Correct. I don't, I don't remember anything else prior Well, well I mean, there, there were. The old older buildings, for example, the one on, there's one on Glendale, there's just a couple of them on, oh, on Broadway. Broadway. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. have you have like the coffee shop kind yeah, of yeah. New York style, East Coast style buildings where you had the shopping and then you had the lofts upstairs. But this one was took it up and yeah, took this it up was something else. You know, the trolley and the fountains and the music and the flowers and the, the real grass Christmas shows. <laughs> the real grass and, that you can't uh, step on all the time. <laughs> you know what Mike was you telling me have one time? Grass if you kept stepping on it, bro. Mike was telling me I think that Grass costs him about thirty grand a month, a week. Because oh. listen, they change that grass out, that sod, about every month or every two months. They totally change it out and they bring in new sod. Yeah, you kidding me? Yeah, 
that's why, why they close it down it. and they don't let you step on it when it's a lot of traffic. So because I was like, why don't you put turf? He's like, oh, Caruso would never put turf. It has to be real. Really? That's that's the kind of guy he is. He'd rather spend that extra money for that. Are you? Are you going to be supporting Caruso in his run for? LA oh, I City support Mayor? him. Oh, I definitely support Rick Caruso. And I'll, I'll, if he asks me or anyone asks me, I'll tell him. He came to Glendale. He made promises. And boy, he kept every single promise, and he kept his word. And he, he has a level of uh, management that I don't think any regular typical politician has. Uh, because of his business background? Because of his business background. He wants something done. He hires the, the best people to advise him. He takes that information, and he makes his decisions, and he executes on it. And the Americana is a you know, prime example. It reminds me of somebody. He was uh, president from four, the past? 45? <laughs> 45? I don't know, man. Did you oh, support on, 45? No. Uh, I voted for him. Yes, I did vote for him. Both I times? couldn't. I couldn't vote. Yeah, I didn't. I thought Biden was a disaster. Um, you still think so? Yeah. No, I he's, he's, he's completely proved himself to be. He's getting worse. Worse and, than a disaster. Yeah. And I couldn't vote for Hillary Clinton. I just um, couldn't bring yourself. Yeah, there were just too many. So you didn't vote for Trump. You voted against Hillary and Biden. Well, there were a lot of other candidates to vote. <laughs> You know, there was the Green Party and then the Independent Party and all yeah, that. But, but those no, guys I voted for in. I voted for Trump. Now, is he rude? Yes. Is he sometimes foul and obnoxious? And obnoxious? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Is his are parts of his foreign policy effed up? I wish he had, uh, you know, acknowledged the Armenian genocide. But I think some of his other foreign policy uh, decisions were uh, were very sound. Uh, I thought his fiscal policy. Was good. I mean, we had a great period of growth and uh, success but during was, that time. But it was America first. That's you know that's what he says, and people dog on that. But but it was America first. I mean, when he went to NATO and said, "You guys aren't pulling your own weight. Why does the United States have to kick in and pay for all this defense?" I mean, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with doing that? And I think that that turned out. I think a lot of his policies, his border policies. Uh, as much as Biden criticized them, Biden has adopted them up to this point. And Biden and not just Biden, but a large part of the uh, Democratic Party. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Caruso, I think, would be a better president than, than Trump. Uh, he'll you, be a great you, mayor. You think he could I, be a president as well? I mean, he has. I think he's I think he's better than Donald Trump in many ways yeah. in almost every way. Let me. Let me just say that from what I've seen. I don't know Donald Trump personally, but I know Rick Caruso personally. Because as far as net worth and, I mean, they're relatively the same, you know, billion here or there, right? Well, I guess. Yeah, I don't know exactly what Trump has, but. And, and a real estate a, background and, I mean, Rick Caruso seems more diplomatic. It's, it's, more, of, it's more of a, well, bus, it's a business mindset, businessman yeah. mindset where you can compare them. You could, it's literally apples to apples. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. <clears throat> Trump has a far, far bigger name. Because of course of he does, because he's been in the... Bi- I mean, well, look at the age difference as well. And yeah, But what well, happens it, to L.A. Age if Caruso becomes a five, five, eight-year difference. I don't think it's... Is a, it? I, th- I think Caruso's in his 60s, isn't he? Yeah, and Donald Trump's 74. I think he's yeah, maybe like 66 62, or 62. And besides that, Trump comes from, comes from money. His apprentice. His, 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 apprentice. He's always been on TV. Yeah, his dad. You know, yeah. Caruso's been... 
I'd rather be a Caruso type of billionaire, nobody know my name, than a Trump type of billionaire. If, well, I, <laughs> if I had to pick. <laughs> well, he, he's he's running against what's her face. Let's say you have that pick, Arnold. Go for I it. pick it. Okay. <laughs> no, honestly, because... So you guys Most think people wouldn't recognize Caruso if they saw him. Now you guys, no. if well, maybe now they would because of his campaign, but I don't think yeah, before me, this. If yeah. Caruso becomes mayor, L.A. in a year might see big shift in a lot of different aspects. He's attacking. His main focus is homelessness. That's what he's running on. Yes, it is. And it needs to be, I think. Uh, there is a homeless crisis in Los Angeles, um, and it needs to be handled immediately and it's not that there isn't enough money there's tons of money that we've taxed ourselves for that we've got federal money for it's just not being managed properly with a where's cohesive the money? with a cohesive plan um, so where's the money go it goes to separate organizations that aren't working in concert together they all have to work together because you can't just push you know a homeless from here to go there so how does Glendale deal with that issue? So it's Glen- much less. I mean, yeah. you can look at Eagle Rock, which is literally a block away. And you have hundreds of homeless in right. Eagle Rock, and then pass over to Glendale, I'll, you have none. I'll tell you how Glendale does it, and it doesn't happen by accident. It happens because you've got a city council, and a city manager, and community organizations that are committed to not letting it happen. So what we do is, first of all, we do an annual count of homeless. So we know how many there are. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to say, let's before you get into the nitty-gritty of Glendale City, since you've been a council member and a mayor, can you real quickly break down the job description for each so we understand what's the responsibility of a council member okay. and of the mayor? And then we can get into okay. the numbers as far as yeah, budget good, and all that. Good, uh, good point. So um, we have five council members are elected from the city at large. That means everyone in the city can vote for the council members. The elections are held every two years, and you've got three running and two running on alternate two-year cycles. This cycle, there's three seats open. I'm running for re-election. And uh, next two years, there'll be two seats open. Once you get elected to council, um, you have an opportunity to serve as mayor. What that means is that as mayor, you are the, the figurehead of the city. Uh, you are in charge of running the meetings. You become the uh, spokesperson for issues that involve uh, the city. Um, you basically keep things working under control. Uh, it's not easy to run a city council meeting. Are you... I guess, would that be considered a CEO, COO of like an organ company, or what would the closest title be? Well, I'll tell you. the So along with the city, I'll answer that when I broaden it out a little sure. bit. Along with the city council, so you've got one mayor and four council members, and that mayor's term is only one year, um, you've got a city manager. The city manager handles the day-to-day operations of the city, and he's assisted by his department heads, police, fire, parks, library, public works, uh, water and power, et cetera, et cetera. So that city manager is probably the, the better uh, one to call the CEO. And is the city okay. manager elected as well? No. The city manager is picked and hired by the city council. So we had 
a city manager uh, two years ago that, that left the position. We went out and looked for a city manager, and we found uh, our city manager, Rubik Golanian, who at that time was the assistant city manager, but we had interviewed a bunch of other as well. The mayor is more like the... Um, That's a very well-paid position, too. Yes. City manager gets good money. City manager gets good money, and it's something that uh, with a bad city manager, you're, no matter how good your council is or how good your mayor is, a bad city manager can really screw up your city fast, can get you involved in litigation, can get, can you know, completely screw up providing services, can screw up the power system, the water, the traffic system. All of that comes to a head with the city manager. The mayor and the council members are more like the, the board of directors and the chairman of the board. We set the big policy. We don't get into the details and say, you know what, we need... You know, that speed hump has to be three feet wide instead of uh, two and a half feet wide. We don't get into that. The big policy issues come to us. We tell the city manager what we want to happen in the city. It's his job to make sure that gets done. Upon a vote of the council, you need three votes to get something done. The mayor's vote counts as anyone else's vote. So uh, the mayor could be against something, but it could still pass. The mayor cannot veto anything like the city of L.A. has. Um, there's no one who sits like a city council president like L.A. has. So it really comes down to five equals. One guy's in charge of running the show, you know, moving the issues along, making sure that the proper uh, questions are brought before the council each week. Um, and the vote comes before the five, and three votes will, will set an so agenda. The mayor's kind of like a tiebreaker. No uh, sometimes the mayor is a tiebreaker, very often. He's the one who votes last when you go around. Uh, and we've had, we've had many instances where the mayor uh, has broken a tie. We've had some questions, and, and it's been broken. Yeah. Um, so that's how, our, you know, that's how the mayorship works. I've been mayor for four terms, and I think there's no one else um, – I don't think there's anyone else on council or trying to get on council that has the, the experience and the knowledge that I have. I mean, yeah. everything that's happened in Glendale since 2005, I've had a hand in. I can't even begin to tell you what the issues are, from parks to roadway to open space. Something I didn't even get into yet is my involvement with the regional boards, with LA Metro and with Metrolink. Mauro was just asking about That's that. That's the question yeah. coming Mauro up. was asking, uh, how has your role as chair of Metro benefited all the citizens okay. of Glendale? Okay, good. Let me back up a little bit and explain that to you. So the Metro board, Metro is the Los Angeles uh, Metropolitan Transportation Authority. It's for L.A. County. It handles all the transportation issues involving roadways, freeways, bus lines, subways, and light rail trains. All of that stuff comes out of Metro. Metro has a huge budget. Um, I think we're like at $8 billion, $7 billion this year, not including the big subway projects that we're doing. On the Metro board, it's a really heavy, heavy-hitting board. You've got the five county supervisors, okay, and you know, you know who they are, Kuehl, Barger, Hahn, Holly Mitchell, um, and Hilda Solis. You've got the mayor of L.A., 
plus three of his appointees. So you've got Garcetti, you have Paul Krikorian on there, Mike Bonin, and uh, a non-elected lady, Jackie DuPont-Walker. And then they take all the other cities in L.A., because there's 88 cities in L.A. County, and they divide it into fourths, north, south, east, and west. So I am representing the north cities. And that isn't a seat that goes to someone in Glendale every year. You have to campaign for that. So in 2006, when I got on council, a year after I got on council, I said, you know what, Glendale is a large city. We're the third largest city in L.A. County at that time. We need a seat on that board. So I went and I campaigned with all those other cities from Lancaster, Palmdale, Santa Clarita, Burbank, San Fernando, Hidden Hills, Agoura Hills, Calabasas, Malibu, um, and there was an election. And I was elected from those cities to serve on the Metro Board. On the Metro Board, you have this huge budget, and you've got all these transportation projects that are possible. Of course, I love Glendale, and I I look out for all the other cities in my uh, district, but also for the whole county as well. But for Glendale, I pay an extra attention to. So whenever there's a possibility for Glendale to get funding from Metro, I'm in there and I'm putting the word in that, hey, this is a great project, we have to fund it. And what are some of those things? They're uh, electric buses, the CNG buses, the roadway design, bike lanes, uh, bridges, uh, signals, uh, on-ramps, off-ramps. We're going to be putting a a bus rapid transit that's going to connect Glendale to uh, Burbank and Glendale to Pasadena and connect us to the whole metro system. I was just looking at the... Uh, looking at some numbers here, between 2010 and 2015, I brought in like $35 million of projects into Glendale, directly into Glendale. And that's a big thing. Um, That's something that if I'm not reelected to Glendale City Council, that seat goes away. That seat's going to be picked up by someone from Lancaster or someone from Santa Clarita. And and you know where their interest is going to be? Of course. Their interests are there. And I try and be fair to all those groups as I'm, you know, apportioning money. But my heart is in Glendale. Am I biased towards Glendale? Yes. Damn right I'm biased. That's This is my city. I love this city. And if I'm gone, it's gone. Not that we're never going to get any transportation money. I'm not saying that, but it's going to be a lot harder to get the things that we're, that we're getting. Now, does that also include any funding towards, you know, how we're – government's trying to push more towards electric vehicles and all um we need the infrastructure for it is yes. th- is that does that also fall yes. under metro has metro? funding yes metro has funding for the electric uh, vehicle infrastructure uh where we just recently uh allocated money for the city of glendale for five electric buses so along with those buses is electrical charging infrastructure that we're bringing into the city that's for the buses, but also for electric vehicles in general. There's funding that Metro has that we're going to get for the charging stations throughout throughout the city. Um, you know, if you you know, listen, I, I've been green. I've been green since 2005. You know, people say, "Oh, you're not green enough. You're not eco-friendly." Listen. I'm endorsed by the Sierra Club, believe it or not. Keep your jaws, you know, <laughs> up off the floor. Uh, from the League of Conservation Voters, why? Because I promote transit use. 
Not everyone uses transit. Okay, we get that. But there are those people that have that day-to-day commute from our office buildings, from our uh, employment centers that can use transit. And every car that we get off the street makes it easier for all of us, keeps the air cleaner for all of us. Is that practical, though, for somebody living or working in Glendale, for instance, living in Pasadena or Burbank or maybe even further away? Is it actually practical to use public transportation? It's very practical. And that's the wave of the future. We have to go to we have to go to public transportation. We can't keep putting more cars on the road. Some people need cars. You're a real estate agent. Hell, you can't hey, take. Don't, tr- don't promote him. You can't yeah, take. Nobody uh, knows that. He, he doesn't pay us for that. You can't. <laughs> don't, don't, don't. You can't. All right, now I got now I got to cut a check uh, to these guys. Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I I have to I have to I have to drive. You have to drive, have to and drive. that's fine. If you're a physician, you have to drive back and forth. You and I are walking. (laughs) Some people have those daily jobs, nine to five. You know where you're going. You know where you're coming. And we want to target those people. I don't know if you guys remember the Olympics back in 1984. We were all freaked out. Oh, we got to get cars off the road. We're going to have gridlock. If you remember, driving during the Olympics was as smooth as it could be. You think, oh, we took half the cars off the road. No one at this table are. <laughs> okay, you're I younger. was four. You're youngsters. Okay. But I was I'll tell four, you, but I, I was one. <laughs> I, was, I was 24. But in reality, we only took about 5% of the cars off the road to make the freeways open up and flow like That's you've it? never 5%? seen it before. 5%. What do you mean when you say we took 5% of the cars in off other the words, road? So what we were doing is we were encouraging businesses to... Uh, open up later, right? So they're not bringing their workers to work during that crunch time. That we were encouraging them to stay at home. Uh, at that time, they even they did have telecommuting, believe it or not. Um, and we we did the the surveys. It was only five percent that were off the roadway, and the roadways ran smooth. You get to that point in traffic engineering where you add just a little bit of extra volume and the system shuts down but if you can keep it below that that number traffic flows like crazy so that's the point with transit is we don't want half the people to ride transit we don't even want 20 percent of the people we just want five to ten percent of the people to get on transit and it's going to make it easier for everybody now if i have to be at work at 8 a.m what time do you do i need to leave the house where do you work to let's say it's a 15-mile commute, what okay. time do I need to leave the house via public transit to make it to work at 8 a.m.? That's what I mean by practicality. Okay. Do I have to leave the house at 6.30 just to make sure I connect with however many buses I need to? Well, let me give you an example. Um, let's talk about Arno. Let's mm-hmm. say you have to come to this. I don't know if this is your work location. No, but, but let's say you have to come here. Uh, can we divulge your location or, or not? My location? You're off of Olive. Let's just say you're off of Olive let's, in let's call it. This isn't my location, but let's call it. Well, everybody knows where his well, office is. Yeah, everybody is. knows where my office okay, is. Okay, but I'm just, for example. Sure, sure. Um, this BRT uh, is gonna, that's going to cut through Glendale mm-hmm. is going to get you from downtown Glendale at the corner of uh, Central and Glen Oaks to this location in about 10 minutes by transit. There will be like three stops. Is going to have your own dedicated lane on an electric vehicle, and it's going to get you in 10 minutes from here to there. Let's say you want to go to the valley even further out. 
This same line is going to connect to the, uh, the Orange Line and Red Line Transit Center in North Hollywood. And from there, you can get on the Orange Line and go deep into the valley. Let's say you want to go to Van Nuys or even further out. So we're building out the system, and uh, it's going to work. Once we build it out, the more we build out, the more connections there are. Glendale has not had that connection, yeah. let me tell you. And for 20 years, we tried to get that connection between Burbank and Pasadena. Finally, since I got on the Metro board, we brought in the money. It's $300 million to make that connection. So if you want to go from Glendale to Pasadena, again, it's like a 10-minute ride on the electric vehicle. You want to go further out to Azusa, Sierra Madre, you can get on the gold line. Or if you want to head it into Union Station to get a Dodger game, you can get on the gold line. It'll take you right to Union Station, and you take a shuttle to a, to a Dodger I mean, look game. at it this way. The more people use public transportation, the less cars will be on the road, the quicker public transportation will be. Now, is, is the usability, like, they're going to be an app similar to, for instance, say, a Lyft or an Uber, where I, for one, have probably used public transit, probably never in L.A., but... Um, I'm glad you asked that question. Yeah. Let me tell you. Aside from that system, which is that we call that the fixed route mm-hmm. because there's a route and it's yeah. fixed. We've got a flexible uh, on-demand system called Metro Micro. Glendale was one of the first cities to get that. So what you do is you get on, you, you uh, get on the app, it's a me- just the Metro.net app, and it will pick you up and deliver you for a dollar anywhere between... I mean, it won't take you to Long Beach, but anywhere in the Glendale, Burbank, Pasadena, Eagle Rock area for one dollar. The connecting city. It's like basically. an Uber. It's like an uh, um, like a what's it where you share the Uber? Like a share ride share. Yeah, it's the ride yeah. share, which is the X ride share. Yeah, yeah. I think. Right. Wow, that's one dollar. See, but bro, do you do you know what I, I remember? Think not enough people know about yeah. that. Aura. Do you, I, I, I remember the beeline being a quarter, 25 yeah. cents back. We used to go to the mall Wasn't using the beeline. No. beeline? No, no, no. It, it, was, it was free. It was free. I remember it being free. It was free at one point, and then it became a quarter. Bro, You, I would literally, I'm not kidding you, when I was a kid, bro, I would take a quor- like a bunch of quarters anywhere, anywhere I would need to go where as far because as, I couldn't drive. Yeah. Get on the beeline, throw in a quarter. It would take me wherever it needed to take me, and it was like the most convenient way of traveling as far as... You know, somebody who doesn't have a driver's license, right. somebody who's under 16. But imagine going to, well, not for your job, but let's say you want to go to Pasadena. Pasadena parking is a bitch. And if you find parking, you're going to spend 10 bucks on parking. Yeah. It's, if it's a dollar or two. So it's, it's, it's a no-brainer. And you can you could sit work on the bus while you're and going. Walk. Yeah, exactly. And they're not buses. They're, they're like vans, uh, like oh. Sprinter vans. So they're oh yeah they are. this isn't yeah it's this is some big old see, I haven't even seen one are they on the streets yet yeah they're called Metro Micro they're painted oh, dark blue oh yeah dark blue with the dots on it exactly see, that's I didn't it. know what that was and it's available and it's something that I brought in the Glendale I'm selling my truck guys <laughs> <laughs> if anybody's in the market for what a about truck. your Vespa <laughs> can't get rid of the Vespa I, I got the design <laughs> Vespa that's already mo- but that's yeah, already spoken dude, for bro it's it's a convenient way of traveling. And again, you can work in, you can literally work in the Sprinter, get there. You got AC, you got everything going on, you know, drops you off wherever it needs to drop you off. And it's, wow. it's a dollar. It's a dollar. I mean, look at gas prices, bro. I didn't know. You know, surprisingly, with the, the way the gas prices are, I've never seen this much traffic. It's, it's insane. 
People got to work, like man. The People more expensive it gets, the more traffic you see on the streets. I don't understand. Uh, the, the best part of it is the way people are driving. They don't realize that when you put your foot <laughs> all the way on the damn gas pedal, the <laughs> RPM goes this way, the gas goes the other way. Wh- which is, you know, Glendale has always had an issue with bad drivers. Yes, we have. And, you know, recently there was an accident, 19-year-old kid who got into a, an accident. There was one... Uh, about a month and a half ago. This was in Burbank, but again, you know, neighboring right. city. It, what What is the city doing? I, I, and, I, and I know you're for, you know, law enforcement, you know, cracking down on these terrible drivers, but what else can be done to slow these people down? Because right. it's, it's getting really, really out of hand. Okay. So there's a few things we can do. First of all, uh, back in 2000, um, when I was mayor in 2010, mm-hmm. We, we ha- had this creative idea, especially on Glen Oaks Boulevard, which is a raceway, Correct. Uh, to have our helicopters patrol and give them the speed detection equipment to, uh, to basically radar those vehicles. Via air. Via air and radio ahead to an officer on to, the ground. to conduct the arrest. So that's something we've been doing since at least eight, nine years, and that started when I was mayor. The other thing we can do, and there's several things, is to get our state legislature to permit us to do speed enforcement cameras. There used to be such a thing. The judges uh, in L.A. County weren't accepting the photograph with the speed as a uh, proper evidence to convict someone. But with legislation from the state government, we can make that happen. The next thing we can do is to have severe penalties. If you get caught, I'm not talking about your regular speeder, you know, oh, my God, I'm eight miles over, nine miles over, I'm sorry. But people that go 20 miles an hour over the speed limit, I think their vehicles need to be impounded for at least two weeks. Pay the towing fee, pay the impound fee. Storage fee. Storage fee, and that's going to hit them where it counts. And believe me, that happens once, and Daddy has to pay that. You know, get your M4 out of Hawk. So, I love the way you said that. Someone got mad at me for picking on BMW. You have to do that. And it's not only BMW. The way. way you're saying it is that's that's who are the ones that are causing these exactly. issues. And they will learn. Their dad will say, "This is your car is gone. And we need some parental responsibility in this uh, to take charge and know where your kids are going. And there's apps. Believe me, there's apps that will tell you exactly how fast your kid is going and alert you if he hits over 20 miles an hour in any speed zone. That's what we need, that's what we need to do. Is, uh, and, of course, the old-fashioned targeted enforcement. Right now on Cañada Boulevard, um, near the uh, college, there, the place is crawling with motorcycle cops, and they're giving out tickets left and right. And you know what? About every fifth person that's getting a ticket has a warrant out for his arrest. And you wouldn't believe the number of people that I see that are in handcuffs sitting at the curb getting in a police car because there's an arrest warrant out for them and they're, and they're speeding. So, so, f- so five speeding tickets, arrest warrant? No, no. 20%. One out of five. One out of five. Oh, 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 have something. I, I, for some reason, I, I, I got He's a real estate agent, not a, a financial it, advisor. The way it works, look at it like a loan to value. It's, it's a... <laughs> Twenty percent. But, but you know what? <laughs> if you had five tickets and you didn't take care of them, you would have an arrest warrant yeah, out for figure. you, and you would be handcuffed and taken. And oh, that, see, that, 
But our DA would let you go anyway, right? That's another problem. Don't, don't get us started on the okay, DA. I'm just All right, you mentioned you've been green since 2005, right? Do you, do you truly believe that electrical, electric vehicles are green? You know what? Electric vehicles have a lot of effects on the environment that are not green. First, you've got to, and someone told me, someone told me that the amount of, um, the amount of greenhouse gases that are uh, emitted in the uh, manufacturing of an electric vehicle are way more than a internal combustion engine up to up to 200,000 miles. Once you get past 200,000, that uh, that uh, green comes into play. that green comes into play. But up to that point, they've up got to 200,000 meaning miles miles. Per vehicle? Per, so in other words, an electric vehicle starts out at a very high level just to manufacture it of greenhouse gases. Right. And this involves the mining of the lithium. And yeah. let's not get into the, you know, the, the human, social issues human with right. that. Right. Abuses that goes on to um, get that. The, uh, what you need, oh, sorry, yeah. what you need to do to uh, dispose of the batteries. Yeah. Um, all that stuff. It starts with a higher greenhouse gas level than your than your internal combustion, actually hybrid, than your hybrid vehicle. Think of a, a Prius versus a Tesla, if you mm-hmm. will. The Tesla starts out way higher. The hybrids start to raise at a higher amount of greenhouse gas emissions because they've got that gas component into it, but it meets the Tesla at about 200,000, and then the Tesla is surpassed. surpasses it. But how many cars are driven even anywhere close to 200,000 miles these days? Very little. Very little. So it's if it'll if it'll last two hundred thousand. So miles. that that comparison I think is irrelevant in a sense because most people now drive forty fifty thousand miles on their lease and then they return it and right. get a new one and whatever happens to that vehicle. I mean I don't have a have <clears> a a beef with electric vehicles. They have their place, especially right now as gas is so high. I mean yeah. my wife has a Tesla and. Uh, she pays very little in operating expenses, so that's that's very For good. Now, now, now the now issue is, but here's the issue: is once everybody goes electric, right. are we going to have enough electricity in our grid to power that? Once we tell everyone that's building a new house that you can't have a gas stove anymore, you can't have a gas water heater, you can't have a gas jacuzzi heater, it's got to be all electric. Then our electric demand is going to go very high. Are we going to have enough electricity? To meet that demand. What does it take to get that electricity? It still takes fossil fuels, right? No. So in Glendale, in Glendale, we our um, renewable energy portfolio shows that we have about 64% of our energy comes from non-fossil fuel sources. That means Hoover Dam, hydroelectricity. That means solar. That means wind. That means geothermal. Those are the main sources that we get. And we're and a little bit of nuclear. So Glendale Water and Power is purchasing this electricity, yes, in housing it and selling it to its consumer. We have to transmit it in from different states. A lot of it is uh, in the western states, Utah, uh, Arizona, um, other states where where it's produced. It comes into Glendale and we distribute it to our residents. Now, why is it that electricity and water are Basically, monopoly because it's 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 the two areas 
of expense that we have, which it's it's not really even a selective expense. It's mandatory. Can't get away from Where it. the more you use, the more expensive it becomes. Anything else you buy in bulk, you save money, right? You get a wholesale price. Water and power, the more you buy it, the more it goes up per kilowatt or per gallon, right? Now, why isn't that... Why is there a monopoly within that? Why don't? Why aren't there any private operators? Okay. Because, for for instance, <clears throat> uh, in Altadena, Altadena is water and power. It's called Rubio Canyon something. Um, it's still part of the city, but funny enough, it's uh, all the homeowners own stocks of the actual uh, power company. So you, when you when you buy a house in Altadena, you get a stock certificate that you own one share of the. Uh, but it's still not privatized, obviously. Why aren't there any private companies that are that that okay. are being allowed to distribute electricity and wa- water to create some competition? Because what happens is, let's say five years from now, half of Glendale has electric vehicles. You can just raise the price up of electricity, and now we're paying, you know, eight hundred dollars a month just to charge our cars. When we we were sold on the idea that it's only costing twenty dollars a month to charge your car, right? So let me explain that to you how it works. There are private companies out there. Southern California Edison is a private company. Okay. Pacific Power and Electric is a private company. Uh, Glendale Water and Power is a city company. Uh, the Glendale voters in nineteen 19- 40 voted to create our own power company so we could control the reliability and the distribution. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem is you really can't bring another power company in because that would involve, you know, a double set of lines and a double set of power things and people would be confused as to who their power supplier is. That's that's the first thing. Um, rates that Glendale sets currently have to be uh, matching the cost of service. It's not like a regular business. We can't just say, you know what, a lot of people want this. Let's jack up the rates and make some more money. It has to equal the cost of service that involves all the power that we buy, all the costs in distributing, all the costs in maintaining the lines and all that. And that's scrutinized. That's that's regulated by the government. Now, one thing we are doing that we will be doing very soon is called time-of-use charges. In the middle of a day, uh, when we're getting all this solar power coming in and not many people are using solar power, we're going to ask that those rates be reduced to a very low amount. During the peak use, which is between 3 and 8, let's say, when people get home, they turn on their equipment, and they're, but back at the office, the air conditioning is still running. That's when the rates are going to be higher. We want to... Uh, dissuade people from using it during that time. But in the middle of the day or late at night after midnight, we want to lower those rates so people, if they have to plug in or use power, that they can do it that way. And a lot of the new charging systems are set to that. They're able to be modified so, hey, I don't want to pay the high fee. I can wait six hours till midnight to charge my car or whatever I need to do. Water your grass? Well, yeah, watering you know, water is another issue, but... That's something we're moving towards. It's called time-of-use charges, which will give flexibility to the ratepayer as to when they need to use their electricity. We can't charge whatever we want, and even the private companies can't.
can't charge whatever they want because they're regulated by the PUC, the Public Utilities Commission of the state. So uh, it's not like a, it's a free market. There are monopolies, but it's a regulated industry. So um, that's the story with with the charging, uh, with charges on the electric system. I mean, it's, it's also a good thing that the city of Glendale ha- regulates kind of the power. Could you imagine if it was privatized? And if what would happen as far as in people's garages? Well, well, here's the thing. If we, <laughs> if we wanted... Could you, could you, could sounds you, like a local issue. <laughs> could say that again? Could you imagine if, it, if Edison was running the city of Glendale's power, what would happen? If any, if any time something were to happen as far as power-wise, if somebody's using a surplus of power, what happens? Well, it's an indication that there's something, high usage. Something high usage. Unusual. Something's unusual is if going there's on. There's a grow house or there something you go. like like that. You know, all these private companies, Edison and another one that you mentioned. What was the other one you said? Uh, Pacific. 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 Pacific Gas and well, Electric. Well, none of those none of those guys regulate how much power is being used. Any of that stuff, they don't care. They make their money off of it. They, they make their money off of it, but at the same time, but it's time, not local. That's your point. It's yeah, not local here not in local. Glendale. If you have a water leak, we tell you we've got an alarm that goes off and say, "Hey, you know, Mister, you yeah. got a water leak somewhere." Let, yeah, Check let me it put it to you this way: anytime we use a little bit more water or power, you get that mail. In we the get room. we get a we get a notification that hey, listen, you're using too much water and power, and uh, you know, don't they have the tears? Because LA, we have tears. We so have tears as well. We do too. We have tears as well. But you know, with these private companies, they don't care. They're like, you know what? Just pay us our bill. Whatever you want to do. Do whatever the hell you want to do, which, you know, it, it kind of changes the class of the city as well. Yeah, that's what makes Glendale, I think, and I like to say Glendale is a premier city. I mean, Glendale is one of the best cities out there. One of the reasons is we have our own power plant. We have our own water distribution, and we can give you that personal service if if you're using too much, if it looks like there's a problem, we'll be on it immediately and, and solve it for you. It, it kind of ties into... It ties into the, the safety of the, uh, you know, the safety of the community as well and the city as well. Having the city monitor everything and kind of regulate everything creates a safer city, creates a better city. I mean, for for me, I mean, I, I if you're using too much power, I mean, you can go solar, which the city of Glendale allows it as well. What we're yes, we're we're encouraging people to go solar. That's one of the things we're trying to do to work with a company to come in and put solar panels on homes so we can use that power so we don't need to buy a natural gas powered generators. We don't want to pollute the air, but we want to keep the lights on. So we wanna work with the community to get that solar with a battery storage in each home that gets a solar panel is gonna get battery storage so that home can use it if there's a blackout, or when the city needs to draw on it to make up for high demand, we can do it that way. Have you heard of Michael Schellenberger by any chance? I don't. He's think actually I running heard. against Newsom. Okay. He, he's a, a nuclear power expert. Um, is that well? Listen. So, talk about nuclear power. The governor has uh, asked which governor? Governor oh, Newsom. Newsom. Governor mm-hmm. Newsom has asked that we extend the life of the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant because he sees a possible energy shortage in the next five to ten years. Now, nuclear power, 
if done correctly, is extremely clean. It has it's no the cleanest, the cleanest, and most efficient, efficient, and there you least go. expensive, um, which so, is not pro government. <laughs> well, it's uh, no exactly. No. That's why you you know okay, that's why you we don't have. You have it, to right? agree with them on this one, Arlen. I mean, um, you've been in politics long so enough. You, you, well, you know. we can go around it, but we <laughs> there both are inefficiencies. <laughs> yeah, there are inefficiencies in government. Um, no, no, in no, any no. sort of organization, yeah. you have inefficiencies. But the point is, yeah. if this guy's a nu- nuclear expert. Um, I think I think we need to look at nuclear power, and there's small nuclear that is now coming on. And of course, let's not all freak out. I mean, I was in Pennsylvania when Three Mile Island blew up in 1979. Um, uh, on I, you guys weren't even born yet, but no, there was no. an accident in, in Pennsylvania We're not called, testicles. called Three, <laughs> Three Mile Island. <laughs> So if that's going to get us out of our, our energy problem is a well-thought-out, well-designed, well-managed and operated nuclear plant, people are looking into it It right absolutely now. can, but the problem is there's a misconception about it. People think nuclear, they think of nuclear bombs. They don't, most people don't understand nuclear power. And they how, think it's bad for the environment. Well, not about the environment. They think it could blow up any there's minute, and then there is know. a risk. There is a risk in what's case the, of well, in case the, of earthquake. Let's say the the thing in Diablo Canyon. It's on, <clears throat> apparently they say it's on a nuclear fault. Look at Fukushima in Japan. A uh, it was well run until the tsunami came and yeah, but completely I'm, knocked it off. I'm sure now with the technology we have, on that we too. can we can build it on a flat two thousand million. Square mile. Land. Think about how many <laughs> industries you'd be hurting. Of course, if you went into this. Of course, all these people would have to go look into a different industry. Yeah, I mean, we have the technology. Don't forget that we have nuclear-powered aircraft carriers. We have nuclear-powered submarines, and that's small nuclear. And why are why do why do aircraft carriers use it? Because they can be Clean. at sea for many what? many months at a time, if not years. Yes, right without. Well, think fueling about it. Or so if you take a nuclear power plant, but you turn it into something much smaller, s- size it down, why can't cars be nuclear ran? I mean, there's a lot of technology that, that's going on that. There's the whole, also, there's a whole other discussion as to uh, fission instead of fusion. Instead of combining the atoms, there's a, a method of breaking, breaking the atoms. So apparently it's, it's much safer. You know, our scientists can figure it out, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, we want it to be safe. We want it to be reliable. We don't want to pollute the environment. That's why I got the Sierra Club endorsement, because I have those concerns. Um, one of the other things we're looking at is hydrogen. Yeah, uh, Toyota has the hydrogen cars. There aren't a lot of hydrogen stations as far as for, for refueling, but uh, <coughs> that's something we could... Hey, guys, Arby has a really good question. Sorry to cut well, you we'll get to We'll get to that question. Oh, but we have to ask. This gentleman's been waiting. He's asked a few times. Go ahead, you ask. You want me to ask it? Yes, yes. You want me to ask Arby's question? I don't know which. Go ahead. Arby Bagumian is asking, uh, just to be sure, can we ask him how many genders there are? You're going to go there? That's what. That's, that that's the question, and I've been waiting for that question. It came up, all right? Um, on planet Earth? <coughs> yeah. Yeah, on planet Earth. With the, hu- with the humans? <laughs> <laughs> with the human species? With the human species, yes. There are two genders. Two genders. Thank you, Ara. See, that was solid porting up there. You're all good now. But I mean, do you see, do you see how painless that was? Doesn't take much. Everybody's yeah. belly button is now back in its place, basically, as they say. You know that saying in Armenian? No, 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 no pause. 
No, <laughs> no hesitation. Simple, simple as that. Why did you guys mute that microphone, bro? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know we have uh, fact checkers on our on our stream right now, kind of fact checking everything. Mm. So uh, you know, you guys. Well, since we're on that topic, Levick wants to know your stance on the Second Amendment as well. I'm well. Let me tell you straight out. I'm a strong supporter of the Second Amendment. Uh, I am a gun owner. Um, I feel that uh, that uh, every resident uh, should be every responsible resident should be able to purchase and own a gun. I have it for my own personal protection, and occasionally I do target shooting, uh, and once in a while uh, I go hunting. Rarely. Uh, I used to hunt in Ohio, uh, where it was a little bit more rural. Um, unfortunately, we've seen some terrible instances uh, in the last few days, both in Orange County and in Buffalo, New York, uh, and downtown L.A. Uh, over the weekend. I think that uh, we need to really take stock as to who is, who is being able to purchase these guns. I have no problem with... Uh, with background checks. I have no problem with keeping them out of the hands of felons. I have no problems with keeping them out of those who are deemed to be unfit. But for your average uh, person who is responsible and considerate and keeps it out of the hands of children and properly locks it, um, I'm, in, I'm in favor of that. Yeah. I fought for the, uh, you know, we used to have a gun show in Glendale. Yeah, at the Civic Center. At the Civic Center. Uh, I thought it was, I visited it several times. With my then it was my young child, and uh, I saw nothing, nothing wrong, nothing, no backdoor gun deals going on. Um, I wish it had uh, continued, but it was the vote of the city council at that time to to uh, ban the gun shows. Um, Is there a possibility of it coming back? Not with this city council. Unless no, not with this. Not happening. Yeah, I mean, the, the the incidents that happened in Buffalo. Again, our thoughts and prayers go out to every single person that was affected by it. I mean, I, I mean, I, I was speechless. There was one. There was one gentleman who went to buy his three year old daughter a birthday cake that was killed. There was a grandmother that was out shopping that was killed. The guy that was involved in that shooting. I mean, again. Call it harsh, but I swear to God, man, he needs a public execution. I mean, somebody like that who's and now he's he's saying he's uh he's not guilty. As in, psychologically, he's not there. Yeah, obviously, psychologically, you're not there. But for you to, I mean, I, I, I was speechless. I was literally speechless, and it, it's so sad, you know what happened. And um, it's more of a mental health issue than it is a a gun issue. I think. He was a mentally unstable human being. Um, it, I mean, it was absolutely uh, terrible. It's probably the worst thing that can happen. He, you know, the facts are still coming out, but he apparently had been um, had been flagged and had received. Uh, he he came to the attention of the authorities a year ago. Yeah, uh, FBI, uh, law enforcement, and he he should have been. He was on a on social media. He wrote a. A, a large. He had a hundred. From what I understand, hundred eighty page manifesto. Uh, manifesto, manifesto he, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, hundred and fifty. Hundred eighty. Yeah, that's a book. See, 
I mean, wh- where are the parents when it comes to this? I mean, do they not see anything as Look, far the, as the prob- their son being triggered? The problem is the system is so overpopulated with mental cases that, and I'm not trying to make an excuse, but you you literally can go to the hospital and unless you're, you, you admit that you're ready to kill yourself or kill someone, they're not going to put you on hold because they don't have any room. They're not going to put you on a 5150 hold. They're, they'll tell you, just, you know, go home, be calm, and supposedly they'll send out authorities to do wellness check, whatever. By then, you could have done something like what these guys did. So the the, the system in itself is just, they don't have enough manpower. They don't have, it doesn't seem like they have the proper, again, I think they have the money to do it, but because... Again, going back to politics, I know you're going to hate this, but it's because money's never used efficiently in politics. To fix the problem is not that challenging. But if you raise $5 billion and only 10, 15, 20% of it goes to the cause, the rest is just, you know, distributed, the, the issue is never going to be fixed. And if the issue is fixed, then what do we need that department, that government for? So, you know, it's kind of... In my opinion, government wants there to always be these issues because it keeps people, you know, at their jobs. I, I, if nah, they I fixed all these issues, well, I mean, would be out of a job if we didn't have psycho killers out there. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a great. But we example. do need we do need a greater investment in mental health care, treatment, mm-hmm. and identification. I'm with you 100. percent How, how much that. money did? Did the politicians want to send to Ukraine before Rand Paul kind of stopped it? Forty billion. I believe it was around. How many issues can we fix locally for four, with forty billion dollars? Honestly, like locally meaning nationwide, not Glendale, nationwide. We could have taken a big chunk of mental health care with 40, you see with forty so, billion dollars. So you want to tell me they care? No, because that money is going to go to Ukraine. And then they'll distribute it between the Pelosi's, the Obamas, the Clintons, the Bidens, and the uh, Mitch Connells, and all these guys. There's no difference between right or left. They all they all split the profits. You know, two billion will go to some aid. They'll buy a couple of this and that, put up some tents. Some you know, FEMA will go there, pretend everything's fine and dandy. But the money will be distributed amongst. The, that, that's the pro, that's the problem. That's the major problem that I have with politics and government is that. Nothing ever gets resolved. It's all about, let's just, you know. Well, let me tell you. Let's talk about California. We've okay. got a $100 billion surplus surplus this time. $100 billion. What let's are we see doing? how they're going to use that. What are we doing? Are we see gonna, how they're going to use we'll that. We'll spend $50 billion of it on another bullet train. <laughs> no, we'll probably use it for research, too. Half a bullet train. I mean, they, <laughs> they'll build the rails, and then they'll be like, oh, we ran out of money. See, I'm well, sh- the I'm columns sh- are there, guys. Some of those columns are still standing there. The, I, the I bullet wa- train is going to happen. With this hundred, that's going to happen. You, right, you, in on. our lifetime, you guys were too far down the road. Yeah, yeah, in our lifetime. Oh come on! How man. are we too far There's down no the road? Way. How we have committed? The state has sunk ten billion already into it. It's a into, fifty billion dollars. See what a waste that was. Into the uh, construction, they're constructing it between. Uh, Merced and Bakersfield at this point. You give you give a billion to Elon Musk. I promise you, he'll do it in a weekend. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, underground. It's, you, uh, you've been you, in the private and the public sector, and you know the private sector will get that done much faster 100%. at a much better price. Government tends to waste, Ara. Well, I'm not going to argue with the waste, uh, <laughs> but sometimes private sector goes BK also. I mean, there have been some private sector flops as well. I, I remember this is I remember the day they published the cost of what it Obama had spent on uh, Obamacare's website. Do you remember? I don't remember. It was what initially five hundred million, then it went all the way up to a billion as far as well, this was actually the end cost. And it was a non functional website. I know guys in India that I could have it built for fifty million <laughs> <laughs> and I'm and I'm stretching that number. I mean, you're well, giving listen. him a bonus. Bro. Yeah. That's what you're doing. <laughs> like, see, this is this is what I don't. Know. And I know this has nothing to do with you because we're talking about national politics. But but my my concern, and we'll get to the nitty gritty of Glendale budgets and all that. But you, you know, it's kind of people, the public always wonders, well, where did all this money go? Why are we why are we always increasing everything? Because even if you look at, for instance, the other day I published or I posted the profits of, um, uh, what was it, Shell or uh, Mobile and all these guys, record profits, record quarters. How is it possible that, for example, if you used to buy this for $10 to sell it for $20, you are claiming the price has gone up to 30 now, you're selling it for 60 because let's say you market double it, right? But yet, you're making $50 on it because you're still buying it for 10 You're Not pretending good. the price went up. Well, how else would you have record profits? I don't get it. Does that make sense? If, if the cost of purchasing or producing has gone up parallel to the consumer so, price. So here, economic theory would tell you that someone who sees this, prod, this item would buy it for $10 and would sell it for 30 and undercut that guy that's selling it for 50 or 60 right. if he can enter the market. The problem is that you don't have free market entry like the gas companies and the oil companies and certain industries where there's just a few companies that right. that do the manufacturing. They're the ones that are taking advantage of the situation now. Now is it the oil companies? I think the oil companies are gouging us. To be honest, I think they're taking excessive profits. Our gas should be high, but I don't think it should be $6, (laughs) $7. The cost of oil is up, but they see it's a crisis. And uh, for one... There's an excuse to raise it. That's the problem. There's an excuse? There's an excuse to raise it. Maybe it was, oh, we're we're at war. Right. We blame Russia. And what percentage of the fuel was coming from Russia? Quote, unquote. I've, I've read... Four and then eight. So four percent. Call it ten. Just so let's call it let's call it ten percent of it. But then you they turn around. The gas goes from three dollars and fifty cents to six dollars and fifty cents in certain areas. State thing too. I mean, Arizona was four forty. When Trump was in office, what was our situation with our production and? um, We had local production. We had local oil production. We had pipelines that were. almost being completed. We had gas leases which were being given, and uh, we were a debt exporter. We were yeah. exporting oil. Now uh, we're just importing. Now we're importing. So it's And tapping into our reserves. Yeah, that hasn't worked very yeah. well. But, um, 
Well, let's get back to Glenn. I know, man. Seriously, bro. Yeah, right. just we, to... we digressed a little bit there. So let's talk about the finances in Glendale as far as, from what I remember years ago, I used to always read about how Grand Boulevard of Cars was the main revenue for the city of Glendale. And that this was pre-Americana. And I'm sure Americana doesn't bring in as much tax dollars as I would imagine the dealerships would. But how, how where do we stand where did the city of Glendale stand financially from from an economic standpoint and how much money is generated and because there was okay. we had a lot of questions about what do even politicians get paid and then their retirement packages and all that which we can kind of touch on so that uh, because again it all goes back to trust and whether people trust government do we want small government or do we want big government right um, sure okay so the Glendale, and it's a loaded question. Well, I mean, let's let's break it down. The Glendale budget, yeah. um, the total budget, including all departments, is approximately nine hundred and fifty million, or a billion dollars. So that was accurate. That's the total budget. Okay, because I from I, that I remember reading that. Yeah, from that about six hundred million of that is our power, our water and power company. So let's peel that away. That's when you say budget. That's taxes collected or where that's that's well we spend we can only spend the money that we get yeah so that's taxes fees uh grants and all that so let's peel away the the water and power which is you know the income are the rates that we pay the the uh the water fees the electric fees etc let's stick to our general budget our our uh, general fund which basically serves all the the main departments that we think of when we yeah. think of a city. So that's about, I mean, let's use round numbers. That's about 300 million. That 300 million, the revenue that we get uh, is from sales tax, property tax, and those two are by far the, the greatest contributors of revenue. And then there's other things like fees and user taxes and, and things like that. Um, the brand boulevard of cars I don't think is our top uh, our our top sales tax generator. I think uh, I think the Galleria and the Americana are top. Close behind them is is our uh, Boulevard of Cars, mm-hmm. and um, our property tax revenues. If anyone's in real estate here, knows that property values are going up and up every time a house is sold. It's reassessed. And the city gets its share out of that. Unfortunately, the city of Glendale only gets 13 cents on every dollar of property tax that that is paid. The rest is the county, basically. The rest goes to the county and other things. But other cities get a hell of a lot more. Pasadena gets like 19 cents more. Imagine, it gets 19 cents. Is that what Glendale happens to have negotiated? No, or? the reason was, is Glendale was a low-tax city. Back then, we were a low tax city because we had our power plant. Our power plant was contributing to the city's general fund, so we didn't want to tax our our residents as much as the other cities did because we had our power plant. We wanted to keep our taxes low. When they came in with uh, Prop 13 and um, the tax uh, implementations, they kept our tax levels down our return at 13 cents a dollar. Other cities that were high-tax cities 
hey, they hit it rich because they were allowed to keep that amount. What we're trying for is something called equalization, saying, hey, why should Pasadena get 19 and we only get 13? And that's a big difference, believe me. Why don't we equalize that? And those other cities are like, hell no, keep your hands off our money. We don't care if Glendale, that's Glendale's fault because they weren't taxing enough back uh, in the 1940s and 1950s. So that's how we got in the situation we're at. But our property continues to be uh, increasing in value. As properties turn over, we get more and more uh, property tax. Sales tax, we hit a slump during the COVID era last year, but we are rebounding very strongly in that. People are out spending money, buying things in Glendale, and we're getting that. What percentage of the sales tax goes to Glendale City? Uh, okay, so there's there's a, a couple things. 1% of the sales tax comes to the city. The, uh, the city voted for an additional tax, an additional uh, half-cent sales tax called Measure S. All of that money comes to the city. That's $30 million a year comes to the city uh, in, that, in that regard. So between that, we're able to, you know, that's the money we use to balance our budget. There's really not much else out there. There's maybe some permit fees and some user fees, but those are kind of minor compared to those big ticket items. Now, we have about 1,600 employees in the city. And the city, if you think about it, we're a a service provider. You've got, uh, you know, you've got uh, permits you need to get. We handle that. You need a fire department. It's a service. Police department is a service. Uh, Parks and Rec, we provide services. Library, it's all service. So we're a service provider. We're a service uh, business here. The only way to balance that budget if your revenue doesn't meet your expenses is to cut on your expenses, just like you would at home. So in the in 2015, we reduced our workforce from 2,000 workers to, f- to 1,500 workers. So we cut 25% of our workforce because we saw that we weren't able to, to keep the, the budget balanced. And what year was the proper, what, what year was the sales tax raised again? The sales tax was raised... Uh, 2016 or 17? 2017. So 15... No, I'm sorry, it was a special... <clears throat> was a special election. I think it was 2018. Was it 18? Yeah. Okay, so workforce was cut down, sales tax was raised. Right. I mean, a lot of people did protest and kind of yeah. turn well, listen, around and say, you know what, don't buy anything in Glendale, don't buy anything in Glendale, go to Burbank, go to Burbank. Okay, so here's the problem with that. Um, the county, uh, there's a state law that says the maximum you can tax on any city is 10.25%. We were down at about 9.5. Correct. We boosted it to 10.25. The reason we boosted it is because we said if we don't boost it, some other government entity is going to come in and boost it up there and freeze us out of that. And, in fact, that's true. There was a water district uh, proposition that would have taken that up, and they would have gotten all that tax money. Instead, we beat them to the punch we took that money, and that money is dedicated. It's it's dedicated. It's lockboxed for quality of life, which is uh, public safety, parks, infrastructure, affordable housing, uh, and it doesn't go 
towards pensions or anything like that. Measure S, I was reading, was showing 255, 255 million. No, we're not, we're not there yet. Each year we get about, um, that's close to our total budget. Yeah. But Measure S is about 30 million a year that we get. Oh, that's it, total. Yeah. Okay. And How much did you say it was? 200 million? Uh, well, Our, the general fund's total budget, including sale, sa- sales tax funds from the Glendale Quality of Life and Essential mm-hmm. Services Protection Measure S, is $255 million, okay. from which the city pays for services commonly associated with local governments, such as police, fire, libraries, parks, right. public works, economic So that's the yeah. round number I gave you was the 300, 300 number, million. just yeah. For, yeah. for discussion purposes. Um, and uh, we're in the budget cycle right now. And basically, in the budget, we said, what's important? Do we want to hire more police? Um, I want to make sure that the police department gets every resource that they want. If the chief comes to me, to council, and says, look, I need three more motorcycle officers, I'm going to give him that. If the fire department says, hey, we need another engine and we need another ambulance battalion, I'm going to give him that. Other things, I'm a little more scrutinizing. You know, library, parks, public works. Uh, power plant, you know, I kind of dig into that a little bit more because I think the most important thing for us in Glendale is our public safety. 100%. Police and fire service. Has there been a pushback from city council for that? A lot of, you know, I don't think anyone is as gung-ho as I am for police and fire. Others um, question the expenditures. Um, someone wants to bring forward a uh, analysis of our SWAT team. Uh, do we really need a SWAT team? Well, if you ask me, I think we need a SWAT team. Uh, and you might not need it this year, next year, or for five years. But when you get some psycho holed up in a you know, corner of you know, the city with an AK and body armor, you're going to wish you had a SWAT team that you controlled that was out there getting yeah. it done. Um, My friend's husband works for Glendale SWAT. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't know that. I'm not just saying that. You didn't tell me that before the show. No, no, I kept that a secret. Yeah, seriously? Yeah. So uh, it's an important division that we need. Yeah. And God, ho- God hope we never use them, but yeah. we got to have them handy. Other candidates have, have been pushing for, quote-unquote, green space, green space, parks, green space, and, you know, we've had a discussion with them. And, you know, Armand mentioned it on, on that podcast where, you know, it, it attracts a lot of homelessness. It, it attracts a lot of, you know, squatters. And, you know, not having the proper law enforcement to handle stuff like that, it'll just get worse and worse and worse. I mean, what is the homeless count in, in Glendale as of... So it fluctuates, but we're at about 150. Right, about 150. We're at 150. And it, it is that low because we have a dedicated team of police officers that go out there and they're trained in... Uh, mental health and mental illness and drug abuse. And they go out every day and they contact these homeless people. And we let them know that we have help for you. You shouldn't be living on the street. Get out of that tent. We can give you a hotel voucher if you look look able to care for yourself. If you can't care for yourself, we can get you mental health care. We can get you uh, medical care if you need it. We can get you drug abuse counseling if you need it. And we keep after them every single day. We don't just contact them once and say, okay, check, we've done that. We'll see you next month. That's going to encourage them to stay there. But it's that continual contact that lets them know that Glendale is here. We want to help them. 
We want to help them and get them out of that situation. But some folks, they don't want to be bothered. And they might say, you know what, Glendale, you're too pushy. I'm going to go to Eagle Rock where I can, where I can camp out in peace. And that's a yeah. that's not pitch that's a not tent. acceptable. Pitch a tent, which is which is one good thing that you know we've noticed in the city of Glendale is you don't see you don't see tents underneath freeways. You don't see tents in alleyways. Um, last year, well, we used to right near. Uh, I mean, right that's happens. considered Glendale. Where right near Harvey Drive? That are you talking about bridge? underneath? That's Eagle Rock. That's that's as that you get Rock. to the bridge. It's Eagle, Eagle Rock. Yeah. I mean, occasionally we'll see a new homeless person, but we're on it right away. Listen, I am never going to let Glendale turn into a Los Angeles. And we have Los Angeles on two sides of us. And I have a lot of great friends that live in Los Angeles, but I am never going to let that happen. It's always going to be a priority for me to keep our quality of life as to where we are. I don't want to transform this city. I think the city is on a great path. Um, But we need to keep what we have in Glendale. We are a great city. I mean, name a city that's better than Glendale. And don't say Beverly Hills, because Beverly Hills has all sorts of problems. Oh, no, no, are you kidding me? Right <laughs> exactly. Um, we, you know, we've got a great school system. We've got great... Uh, look at Brand Boulevard. You had a great school system. Well, that's, that's where you should have left it. Yeah. I had a great you, system. You go down Brand Boulevard, you can't find a gum wrapper on Brand Boulevard. It is spotless. And that's because we work with our downtown merchants association. Where did you get that from then? From Burbank? I got this. <laughs> Eagle Rock. This Eagle, Rock. Eagle, Eagle Rock. That's trash from Burbank. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're no, no. We see the power washing that goes on. We see all that stuff that's going on. And again, you know, cleaning out the homeless and making sure, you know, they're taken care of. Because you're right. It, it, it is a mental health issue. It is a financial issue. And the fact that we have a crew and a city that looks out for them kind of it, it shows that hey listen you know the city's here to help you if you don't want our help bridge is right across the street there's Go a to facility Eagle Rock. is 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 that there's a facility near Harley Davidson dealership is that Glendale uh, or is that LA uh, there's uh, uh Asensia Asensia uh is is that considered it's on San Fernando i think i think that's just on the Corner of Glendale, I think it's in Glendale. Because that's a great facility. That's I've volunteered there many times. Oh, that's great. You know, yeah. they they encourage they they give you basically place to stay and food, mm-hmm. but, but you have to get out. You have to get out. Show and that you're looking for a job, exactly. or you're working, or you're going to vocational some type of you know. It, well, isn't there one right in front of the library as well, off of Colorado? It was a no. homeless shelter. Uh, Are you talking about the place where the museum is being built? No, 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 no. Right across. <laughs> so that's an armory. Okay, so what that is. So, so that's the uh, that's the National Guard armory. And we did open that up for, it's a cold weather shelter. Okay. So, so that's during certain temperature Because I've, I've noticed as far as, you know, making sure people have a place to stay. There's they've People have lined up there. Right. Um and I'm all for giving people the hand that they need, giving them the compassion that they need, but they have to work with us. They can't just say, screw you, I'm living on the street. You can't be part of our society and reject society's rules. That just doesn't work. We're here to help you. We can help you, but you got to work with us. 
and we're going to keep after you. We're not going to let you go. We're not going to let this slide. Yeah, because we're hoping that, you know, whoever these some of these other candidates are that are running for city council don't have the opposite mentality that you do. Because, you know, we had we had John Kim on, who was L.A. City Council. John Lee. Or John, John Lee, Lee, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. John Leon was at John. L.A. City Council. And when we spoke to John regarding the homeless crisis, you know, taking place in uh, Granada Hills, Northridge, mm-hmm. North Hills area, you know, he mentioned that he's for, you know, getting them off the street. But the problem was fellow council members voting against, you know, what he what his ideas were. You know, we're just hoping that the people that are, you know, running for city council, if they do get in, and I, you know, we're hoping certain ones don't, um, they don't flip the switch and kind of screw right. up the city. No, we don't want to transform this part of our city. I think we're we're making good progress. It always needs work. We have to continually keep at it. But I think we're on the right track in terms of uh, in terms of dealing with that. Um, and you know, I, I say, you know, God bless those people. I wish that they find a solution to the demons that they have or the financial problems that they are experiencing. Yeah. We're here to help them, but you have to work with us. You have because to be in part order of our for city. for public transit to also be effective, you can't have homeless sitting around and you know riding. Oh, around so that's buses. a huge problem with LA Metro. We have huge problems with LA Metro because many on the board don't want police officers to patrol the system. They want ambassadors in a nice blue blazer. Volunteers. <laughs> they're getting paid. Oh, they get paid? But they're trained in de-escalation techniques. And social workers. Social workers. <laughs> please, I mean, please put, put the knife hall down. Monitors exactly. They have hall monitors? <laughs> so please this is put a big, that rifle away. <laughs> this is a big problem I have. Please at, shoot me below the waist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is a big problem I have at LA Metro. I'll be coming in as chair in July, and it's one of my first... Uh, it's one of my first uh, jobs, first issues, is to really get the, uh, the metro system back up where it's not a homeless encampment. Again, if these people have problems, we want to help them. But you can't sleep in the train and urinate in the train yeah. all day long. I mean, uh, and smoke uh, your drugs and do whatever you do. That's not what – it's a transportation system. It's not a mobile home for these people. And. And we're going to work on that and hopefully clean that system. But up. it's it's so challenging because I remember three years ago, I had a issue at my office with a transient who, for four years, he would sleep in front of the main door because it had a little bit of a covering, so at night there wouldn't be any wind or anything. It was comfortable. And every morning when I'd see him, I'd say, listen, I, it's okay. if you want to sleep here, I'm okay with it. Just... Make sure you're out by 7.30 a.m. When my staff gets here, 7.45 or so, I don't want them to see you. They're they're intimidated by you. And I would sometimes even buy him food and all that. But this guy, obviously, he wasn't all there. He was on drugs and always drinking alcohol. He would urinate and, you know, just feces all over the... I'm like, dude, don't turn, you know, my office building into your own personal restroom you well, can't do that well the problem was that you were feeding him as well they're, they're, well, they're, well, they're like, some of these some I of them are like you, squirrels you i didn't one. bring zavatsa every morning i'm not saying zavatsa i'm sure you bought him a 7-eleven sat, hot sat dog down and you know mad, oh, <laughs> no with the, 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 but the issue was i've i've had <laughs> i've had i looked at the record a couple of years ago 78 times my staff and i had called the uh, police to to come out and you know 
escort him escort out. him out. But even they're Such like, listen, we can't do anything. If we take him in, we're going to do four hours of paperwork. He's going to be out in three hours. The guy had gangrene in his feet and diabetic, and maybe he's, he's he might even be dead by now. I mean, the guy was not in good health condition at all. What city is this in? This is in Burbank. Burbank. Okay. And same place you're sitting. <laughs> you see, you see what happened there. We, and, e- and, and even the building next door, which was unoccupied for about two years, the parking lot was just basically homeless shelter in a sense. And you know, Burbank's top-notch city too. But you had the cops were like, we can't do anything. I cannot keep him in jail. I cannot take him to a mental facility. I can't do anything. I just have to talk to him and hopefully he goes somewhere else. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's, that's, basi- that's basically what it is, and it happens with my wife and their hospitals. They call them frequent flyers, yeah. where they'll do something to themselves to get a bed, to get food, and you know they'll end up at the hospital. They'll stay there for about two, three days. Hot shower, and then, yeah, hot shower, and then they'll they'll be out, and then a week later they're back. But you know, um, John wants to know <laughs> why can't you urinate in the buses? It's there's no restroom in the bus. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ! John is saying this. This is the attorney. Look at that, John. Yeah, he's a fellow he's attorney. A, he's a fellow attorney. Which John? P- P- I attorney. P.I. out of Glendale. His office is on Brand. <laughs> in case, <laughs> just, just in case you want to help a him revoke his. <laughs> oh man! It's after hours, John can now, say as he wants. But no, Glendale takes care of home, dude. It's uh, difficult, man. Listen, I'll tell you, it's difficult. I yeah. had I had a homeless guy in front of my house. You, you guys saw the video, right? The guy was knocked out in front of, like, yeah. a house, a, a, basically a door over. He was knocked out right on the sidewalk. I mean, me, I, I walked over. I kind of took a look at him on to make sure he was alive. He was breathing, and I told him, hey, buddy, you know, get up. You know, this isn't the place to take a nap. Uh, called Glendale PD, two minutes, literally. Within two minutes, they were out there, and they took care of it. They took care of it well. I mean, the guy started walking up towards Mountain. They're like, no, 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 no. Other, yeah, way. other way. Other way, other way. Other way. Eagle Rock is down there. Yeah, way. they're like, other way. You know, it's it's not getting them out of the city. It's getting them the help that yeah. they need. And they have to realize that they need help. And living in front of your house is not acceptable. If they need medical care, if the guy has gangrene or if he's got an addiction, there's there's locations and institutions and facilities we can place them in. But look. They still have to want it. Though. You have to want it. But most of them are resistant. Yeah. Up to 50% are resistant. That means no matter what you tell them, they're going to say, screw you. I like it here. This is my lifestyle. And you have to say that's not acceptable. You cannot have that lifestyle in this city. Society yeah. is based on rules and norms, and that doesn't include camping out in front of Arno's house yeah. or passing out in front of Arno's house, whatever the situation is, or going up in the hills to live. That's not acceptable. It was probably because he overcharged for the real estate listing. That's why. <laughs> Arno, I'm, it's I'm your going to go again. sleep in front of his house. There you go. <laughs> Mike was asking a question about, is it true that there's any, that there are more crimes in Glendale than what's reported to kind of keep, Residents prestige of the and alarmed, city. yeah. As far as things are swept under the rug and handled on the back end, where it's not on the news or uh, talked no. about much. No, that's that's absolutely not true. Uh, every crime that's reported 
to the police is logged in. Now, that doesn't mean if someone breaks into your truck and steals your, you know, your uh, dash cam, you yeah. might not report that, right? It's like, oh, you know, what am I going to do? But any crime that, that we are uh, notified of, yeah. we report that, and it's all in our statistics. No, yeah, we're talking about serious crime. And it's crime. an FBI. I mean, it's like an FBI requirement. If you want to get federal funding, uh, you have to keep accurate uh, records of that. So I don't think that's that's the case at all. Um, Nora wanted to get your input on as far as what your thoughts are with regards to the mandates that employers are uh, pushing as far as vaccinations go and all that. because And, and how much of a say do you actually have, for, for example, for this, uh, w- within the city of Glendale? So... Um, so the way it went down was the uh, the governor, when the COVID hit, the governor declared a state of emergency, <clears throat> and and he started making his own rules. And then the city did the same thing. In that emergency declaration, uh, one of the things we did was give that power to our city manager to Rubik. develop the rules, Rubik Golanian. Now, Rubik consults with the city council when he does that thing. One of our problems, one of our issues was the police department. The police department did not want to get uh, forced uh, vaccinations. Do you blame them? I don't blame them. We spoke to them. And the the loopholes are so large that if you claim a religious exemption, even if we said, even if we said that you have to be vaccinated and the officer didn't want to vaccinate, they're either going to take off work or they're going to claim that they have a religious exemption, and it's not going to happen. So what we tried to do was work with the police department. We did not give them the mandate, although other cities did. Los Angeles had a strict mandate, and they were firing their officers. We definitely don't want to fire our police officers. They do a great job. If they really felt that they didn't need that vaccine, we weren't going to force them on it. But we asked them to do testing. They had to do weekly testing. And they had to do the uh, the, fa- the mask uh, protocols, and fortunately, uh, I don't know where we are now in the whole COVID thing, but that has that has died down, and it appears to be not the issue that it was before. But we never forced anyone to take a not the police, not city no, workers, nobody. No, but if they if they were gonna continue to work, they had to have a if they're working at home. Obviously, that was that. Part has gone, but if they were coming in, they had to do a weekly test that the city paid for that showed they were not uh, infected, and then they could work. They're with the, free with the and clear, kind of right. Now, as, as far as certain businesses that were, you know, mandating masks, mandating vaccines for employers or employees, you know, who was responsible for that? Because every single business you would walk into, it was mask mandate, mask mandate, mask mandate, and you know. Certain people would wear masks. Certain people wouldn't wear masks. Was that was that the city involved in that, or was that basically the health department? What was going on there? So the city started making its own rules uh, until the county came in and superseded us. So the county uh, is its own health department, correct? And they came in and uh, gave us their their rules, and we had to follow those rules. Now, is there a possibility? Is there a possibility because Pasadena has its own health department? Yes. Is there a possibility Glendale might be able to kind of tie in and maybe into Pasadena's health department, or maybe branch out and have their own health department? Because you know we're a very prosperous city. We have a lot. We have a lot of money, and 
you know, is there a possibility where we can control that department? So we looked into that and we gave direction to our city attorney because we were getting these rules from the L.A. County and we weren't happy with it. They were conflicting and it were, you know, it was just a big pain. We asked our city attorney to look into that as to what it would what it would mean to create our no, our own health city health department. It came back and it was a pretty expensive proposition. And I think the cost of that made us shy away from it and say, okay, well, in theory, it's a good idea, but in practicality, the funds would not be used in the best manner by that. Well, Pasadena tried that. But they still do. Pasadena has it and Long Beach has it. Well, they, that's what I'm saying. They kind of, do. But kind of merge in together, branch Yeah, but out. Pasadena did for, lifted the mask mandate for what, like 20 seconds before L.A. County came down on them and said, it doesn't matter, you're your own health department. You're going to have to follow the mandate. See, what is the penalty for something like that? Let's say, for example, yeah, the city turns around and says, hey, listen, you know, these are our citizens. They're our taxpayers. And this is what we're deciding to do. Is, is, the, is the county health department going to come in and literally fine the city of Glendale? So <laughs> this is totally uncharted territory. Um, you know, we've never in the history of the United States, except maybe during the Spanish flu of 1918, um, We've never had something as serious as this. And it changed everything about the way the city operates. We were doing our meetings remotely for over a year, yeah. a year and a half, almost two years meeting remotely. And that needed special rules and special permission to do that because the law says that if you're having a meeting, hey, you guys all have to be in the same place. So people from the public can speak to you and tell you what they think. That was thrown out. Um, you know, mandates on... Uh, you know, we did have mask mandates that the county imposed on us. Did we find anyone? No. Did our police department go and arrest people, grandma, for not having a mask when she walked in the store? No. We didn't have any of that. I mean, think of how ugly that, that gets. We were very concerned about yeah. that. We didn't want to, you know, we're thinking, oh, my God, what are we going to do? If grandma doesn't want to put on a mask, are we going to, like, arrest her there and take her to jail? No, no we it's, can't it's, do that. That's has the state of emergency been lifted? Like I don't California? even know. That's a it good question. Not. I mean, it's gotten to the point where... It has not been lifted. See, it What does that tell you? Because you said we haven't had anything as serious as this. I wouldn't use the term serious so loosely. I don't think this was anything serious outside of the first two weeks to flatten the curve. Everything else has been... Because, I mean, what, what's the solution to... Because if you ask me, the, the reason why state of emergency means what? We can pass any law we want. We can push anything we want because we're in a state of emergency. And there's nothing you can do about it. Now, can the California government, or do you have an answer to... I drive on Brand Boulevard. I see all those high-rise buildings, Brand and Central. From what I hear, I have friends who have offices in some of these buildings. They're more than half vacant. So if you've got, you're the owner of a building, say, I don't know, half a million square feet, whatever the size is, a million square feet of office space, and only 20, 30% of those companies actually return to work from there. Some of them may keep it just to have occasional meetings, let's say, but what's going to happen to all that square footage? Who's going to pay for it? Well, I, I work in one of those high-rises, and it is occupancy is down and it's because people are working from home and 
you know, economic theory again would tell you that the rents on those units should be lowered until people come in and rent them. The problem is when you start lowering rents on those buildings, the value of the building, which is tied to your rental, drops also. So the owners are not willing to lower the rental rate. They're ready to give you a little more, you know, six months free here. We'll give you the free TIs and all that. But we're undergoing a transformation in travel, in commuting, in office space, um, and we have to see you know where it ends up. I don't know if the office space is ever going to rebound. Uh, so what what can replace it possibly? So what can we replace it? Um, don't say housing. Well, there is a there is a, a reuse. <laughs> the, there is a reuse on Central. The 520 North Central building was a office building, and this was done before COVID even came out. Is that Unum. No, uh, across the street from Unum, next to East West Bank, uh, in the East West Bank building, yeah, next yeah. to McDonald's. Yeah. Oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So those the are movie being theater. those are being renovated into uh, luxury condos. Oh nice. And uh, we need more of those. And, uh, <laughs> we don't, or do we? I think we do. I don't think we have enough high end condos. You don't, hold on, you don't you don't think it's condos. getting a little. A little Condos. too. I know, I know, but you don't think it's getting a little too congested? Because I mean, okay, we're, we're not we're not going wide. We're just going up. We'll just okay. build so gra- green areas listen, in between. I, I well, yeah. The, I think the listeners. We'll, need we'll, to, we'll talk about the, the green listen, space. The listeners need to know about this. Yeah. The city of Glendale is obligated to create thirteen thousand units in the next eight years. We're obligated by the state of California. It's something called the Regional Housing Needs Assessment. And they decided that Glendale, its share, Glendale's share, has to be 13,000 units in the next eight years. Now, where are we going to put those units? We're going to put them in Geneva Street. We're going to put them in Rossmoyne. We're going to put them where? In, you know, in the Woodlands? No, that's not the place for that intense housing. That housing has to be downtown. What else are we going to put there? So if you've got to build a high-rise off uh, apartment building or condo, it's got to be downtown where people can walk to work, walk to restaurants, walk and get their dry cleaner, walk and get their groceries, and be in the downtown area where we have public transit, where we have shopping and all that stuff. But why has to? I mean, who is the has to? The state of California. The state of California is basically saying overpopulate your city? Yes. Are you serious? Okay, let, I mean... I swear to God. Because I swear to God. And so, Astor wants so to as a city council yeah. member, what the hell do you do? Do you say we're going to tear that hillside down and well, and and put housing? No, we say let's put it downtown. Well, I know, I know. A couple of years ago, you guys, well, as far as city council, kind of pushed in the whole uh, ADU situation in certain parts of the neighborhoods, as far as we the were Ros- obligated. That's Cor- another correct. state correct. state mandate. See, that's something that wasn't brought up, as far as you know, it, it, everybody's. Thoughts were, oh, is the city council doing it? City council doing it, but when you bring up obligated by the state and you say, okay, there's another alternative, we're not going to be pushing because everybody in our neighborhoods freaked out, especially in the Rosmoyne area where you're like, okay, I own a 1.4, 1.5 million dollar home, I have a beautiful backyard that I like to enjoy, you know, if my home next door sells to an investor, and it's not the right investor, this guy's going to come in and he's going to build Absolutely. three units in the back, and all of a sudden. We're going to have parking issues. Absolutely. We're going to have an influx of people moving into a private 
kind of community. That's a zoning issue, though. Yeah, but that's that's a, that's what we're was going on. So we're obligated. It's called uh, SB nine. What's called the, actually the ADU. The, I don't forget what the actual name is, but that says that there's no more single family neighborhoods. Yeah, that every house can put an ADU, and the city better not mess with that person applying. You've got to have your permits applied. You know, I think there's a it's a like a sixty day shot clock. You have to approve their plans wow. and permit that to be built uh, within sixty days. No exceptions except. Oops, except for historic districts. And how much is the state funding for those 13,000 units or any of these agendas they're pushing? Zip. Zero. Yet they mandate it. They mandate it. It's called an unfunded mandate. That means it's a a rule, it's a directive, it's an order, but we're not going to help you build it. I want to add an F in between one of those, but we'll just leave it at that, but... Jeez, man. And that's why there's all that growth what's downtown. The, so what's the put? Okay, let's say, for example, the city of Glendale, all all five city council members turn around. They say, you know what, state, go screw yourself. We're already overpopulated as it is. Uh, we're having budget issues, police issues, homeless mm-hmm. issues. Uh, we cannot afford to have 13000 What happens? They keep the tax money that you've paid them. They don't give you your tax money. They, I mean, you're going against the state. I think the city of Huntington Beach tried it. And they lasted maybe like three weeks, and they said, "Okay, okay, sorry, sorry, we'll we'll do it." Oh yeah, we'll, we'll pull it. we'll pull our pants down yeah. for you. Jesus Christ, man, that's it's it's yeah. Ridiculous. People need to know that it's not the city council. It said, "Oh, how great it would be to build this." We had to permit that sort of density, and as a council, we said, "Where the hell are we going to put it?" It's got to be downtown. They yeah. have the least impact yeah. on our neighborhood. Because on as far as single family resident neighborhoods, the worst part of it is. The people that are living there and have lived there, the real Glendellians, they're not really for it. It's the ones that are basically turning over, the investors coming right. in and saying, how can I make a quick buck? Oh, let me build right. two, three units on this. And right. my, my value will, will go up. Yeah. Are safe houses also going to be built, you think, in those buildings because they're federally funded? or Safe spaces, uh, you mean. Safe spaces? Uh, no. <laughs> safe houses? Not safe spaces. What are you talking about? It's, it's for people who who've been incarcerated and then they've got, you know, kind of to get back into oh, halfway, society. Halfway, halfway houses. Halfway house, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah no. So it's safe house, no. bro. I thought you were talking about those crying rooms and shit. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like, <laughs> sorry, dude. Safe house is usually where drugs are dropped and uh, Yeah, basically. Yeah. Halfway house. No. Halfway house. Yeah, safe halfway house. house. <laughs> no, thing. as far as I it's know. It's a safe drop-off uh, location. <laughs> but listen. Who did you vote for? Biden, this is a safe house for you. Go ahead. Yeah. Three of those luxury apartment buildings, the Altana, um, the Brio, and another one. I um, love the names. Were bought by the state, Community Development and Housing Department, uh-huh. and they're being turned into workforce housing, which isn't low-income housing. It's not market rate. It's somewhere in the middle. Someone, let's say, between a sixty dollars and $80,000 salary are going to get reduced rents in those. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this, the state just came in and gobbled it up, and we're you know we've got those buildings. The next, uh, sorry, the next on Lex, which is a 500 yeah. unit, the Altana, and the Brio, 
uh, which Rio is was on Colorado, yeah, right? which is the yeah. old ISIS, yeah, yeah. Colorado and that the was a great world. name. Yeah, ISIS. they changed that fast, didn't they? But, <laughs> um, Where do you live, ISIS? <laughs> <laughs> it's the bomb. <laughs> oh, jeez! But it's it's basically under sixty thousand annually. Yeah, they call it workforce. Yeah, it's easy to show. Under 16,000. 60, 60, 60. Oh, 60. I mean, it depends, say it depends 60. how many people in the family uh, yeah. and how large of a, a unit you need, but yeah. it's between between 50 and 80, let's say. Someone yeah. that's got a job, let's say you're a school teacher, that sort of, uh, that sort of income range where you're not making yeah. a boatload of money, but you're above the, the affordable housing limits. Yeah. Uh, Workforce okay. is what they call. It. That's and what everybody in your into. everybody in your family is a dependent from <laughs> grandma, grandpa, <laughs> in laws, everyone. Everyone. Lange. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's a dependent. It's yeah. like how, how much? It's like what's what's your uh, how much are you making annually, net or gross? Well, you know, net about twelve six hundred forty dollars <laughs> a week. <laughs> Give or take. Give or take. Yeah. Uh, Where do you live? Is I'll that Bentley yours? No, no, it's not my, my name. It's uh, my cousin from. Uh, lunch. <laughs> I got to ask this question because John and Claudia are about to have a brain aneurysm. Um, what so are we wouldn't w- talk about that? Oh, we, we oh, agreed on it. Oh, we did. You're right. You're absolutely right. Never mind. Never Claudia, mind. you're not getting. Yeah, yeah, I completely thank you for reminding me. Yeah, if you want to, if you want to ask that question, email you, Ara. Yeah, <laughs> we'll give out a seat. <laughs> you already figured out the question. I'm sure. Uh, okay they're not gonna sleep tonight um so we we had a question from vachik dr vachik he's not a real doctor but he just plays (laughs) one on facebook um regarding the uh the was it 57 or 67 million dollar lawsuit with regards to the energy rate hiking from 2013 okay well i think he's talking about the transfer the transfer, yeah, right. which... So here's what happened. Let's <clears throat> give a little bit of background. Sure. In 1940... Again, <laughs> again, in 19... Everything <laughs> happened in <laughs> 1940. <laughs> Shit, oh, bro. Oh. In 1940 and 1944, the residents of Glendale said, we want to create our own power plant. And mm-hmm. when we create that power plant, we want to transfer up to 25% of the profits to the city of Glendale. Okay, so you got a power plant making profits, and the voters voted that we're going to permit that transfer to the city to pay for things like fire, police, parks, roadways, libraries. Into the operating costs. Into the operating costs. And we have been uh, doing that transfer at different amounts since that time. The city residents voted for it twice. So at some point in 2000, whatever that year was, 2015, uh, there was a lawsuit saying, you guys, what do you mean you're transferring this money? You can't transfer that money because that's not what, um, that's not what the rates should be set at. In other words, you're transferring that money, but you're charging us uh, based on the transfer. Do you understand that? So it, it appears as a cost. Yeah. Right. You're using it's your cost operational item. cost to increase our to set the rates. rates. Yeah. Right. So they sued and they meaning the citizens. Uh, a group of citizens, I think it was the uh, uh, Coalition for Better Government, Glendale Coalition for Better Government, sued and it went to court 
and it was appealed. It went to court, and they won the case, the, 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 uh, the residents. Uh, and the ruling was, you can't do that transfer. Pay that money back. And that's how it, got, it added up to uh, close to the 60, 67 60 million. million. Yeah, because yeah, it was about 20 million a year if it was a three-year period. Mm-hmm. Um, it went to the appeal court, and the appeal court said, you know what? This was approved by the Glendale voters back in 1940, 1944. So what Glendale is doing is proper, and we're still doing that today. So the lawsuit that they had was not successful, um, and that money is being it's not like it's not like I'm getting that money. It's going back into the city for police, for fire, for housing, for libraries, for parks, for roadway paving, for for all these things that we rely on. It's coming to the city, so it's not like you know the premise was oh they're just they're robbing us blind. No, we're not robbing anyone. It's going back to the city, the city that we love, to keep it what it is. If we had a twenty million dollar hole in our budget. Let me tell you that police and fire are about half of our budget. So we would lose approximately uh, 10 to 20 police officers and firefighters if we had to eliminate that into the city. And no way, I told you, no way am I cutting our police department. So what we did was approved by the court, and uh, it's a settled you know, it's a settled decision right now. That's old news. At, at it's old news point. at this point. There you go. What else we got? <laughs> what else we got be- besides uh, some people going back and forth in the comments? By the way, guys, you know, in a good way or in a bad uh, way. It's a, it's a, I mean, we it's have both some, ways. Yeah, we have some special people that you know tune into the show every now and then. Okay. So. Ironically, when you see like new names pop up in the chat. And they're just asking the same question. Well, the new people are always telling us how to run the show. That's what's That's the crazy really part. Ironic, yeah. Yeah. Guys, just email us, wise.4.nuts. We'll send you the password. You guys handle it. We don't need to do anything anymore. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just... <laughs> the normal will get you keys. You'll come in here. You'll sit down. I mean, if you need help, you'll I'll just... even make coffee yeah, and leave. Call us. We'll st- let you know how the soundboard works, how to set the mics up, how to turn the camera hey, on. Hey, Claudia, you can message me personally. I'll tell you everything about abortion. Is this, is this about Claudia, abortion. Claudia? Attorney Claudia? I don't know who that is. She Claudia She o. shouldn't be Claudia O. She would be Claudia V. Oh, okay, okay. I mean, because if it was her, I was going to be like, we invited you on. You didn't come on. But um, No. It's is there, not, is there I, anything, I doubt it's... Uh, is there anything else we want to cover before... Well, let's ask Ara if there's anything you think yeah, we okay. missed. Anything, or, Ara? Jeez, because you, know, you are running for a re-election. Yeah. So, so, um, <clears throat> so there is an election. Why should we vote for you? Well, okay. <laughs> you should vote for me because um, I know the city like no one else does, like no other candidate, like no other council member. I've been committed to this city uh, for decades. I've put my heart and soul into this city. Um I know when staff is trying to put one over on me. Um, I know when they're being sincere with me. Uh, My commitment is to public safety. I don't want to overhaul this city and change directions. I don't want to transform this city. We are a great city. There are very few cities in California that, that are as good as Glendale. And I'm not saying that because I'm from Glendale. I'm saying that because... I hear that from other mayors and other council members when we go to seminars and conferences, and they say, wow, Glendale really has its act together. We've got a great downtown. 
We've got great shopping. We've got great cultural diversity. I'm proud that it's a center of, of Armenianism, if you will. Um, our neighborhoods are good. Our crime rate is low. Our homeless rate is low. Um, we've got nice streets and uh, parkways. Um, you know, can you find fault with anything? Yeah, uh, you can find fault with anything if you look, you know, deeply enough and try and see, oh, well, that's not exactly perfect. But it's a great city, and I'm going to keep it on that path as a council member, and I'm going to encourage my council members who are with me to keep that path. And that's why you need to vote for me. Um, you have other votes that you can make. You can make up to three votes, but I want one of those votes to be for me. Um, you know, I'm my heart and soul is with Glendale, and I want to continue to keep this city uh, as great as it is. Well, we, we really appreciate everything you've done since 2005. We really do. And uh, I know Armand and Edgar don't live in the city of Glendale. My family does. All, all well, now I'm considering maybe <laughs> uh, do you want to identify moving into one of those high-rise buildings. Uh, maybe uh, oh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I was, I was hey, thinking. You could, you could move into my garage. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about the garage, but if they're giving out low-income housing in Glendale, I'm signing up real quick. Yeah, we got a vacant room, by the way. You could move into yeah. there and and what and basically say you're a resident. Can I set up a tent in your front lawn? No problem. No problem. <laughs> That'd be sick. No problem. Can you but manage my social life? <laughs> I could say I live on Rosemary. As as long as as long as you're okay with a with a three month old run roaming around the house. Don't worry. I was there, there nineteen months ago. There we go. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your thank Monday you. to be with thank us. Thank I appreciate. Yeah. We had a lot of fun today. You've got you got you got seven Akferdians voting for you. That's excellent. So thank th- you. Those those are those are set in stone already. So uh, thank you for everything you've done. Thank you to Councilman Artie Kasachian or Artashes. Mayor, he's mayor. Or mayor, I'm sorry, Mayor Artie for setting this up as well. Yes. We really appreciate that. Uh, good luck in your campaign. Uh, you know, we really really do feel confident in what you've done and what you will do for the city. So thank, thank you, you again. Uh, thank you, Ara. Thank you. Guy, thank you, guys. Of course. Guys, uh, we're gone now, but we'll be back in less than 24 hours. Oh, we uh, have a show tomorrow. We have a show tomorrow. Oh, forgot um, about that. I get to see you guys again tomorrow? Literally. It's going to feel it's gonna feel weird, but, yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, I hope all the trolls show up tomorrow. I, oh, we really we do hope love all your the support show once up. again. Yes, yeah. please come back. Yeah. We, so we enjoy your company. Tomorrow is a very it's a it's a long overdue, and everybody's anticipating it. Um, it's Robert Torosian and Doctor Hike Martirosian will be meeting face to face, and they will be on the Wise Nuts, uh, and it'll be a very civil discussion. Let's call it that. Uh, Wise nuts! All three of us will be here. We're gonna figure out uh, the the mics and all that stuff, the whole situation there, because obviously there's gonna be more than four people on screen. So um, we'll see you guys tomorrow, same time, same place, 7:30 p.m. Uh, we'll put a poster up tomorrow again, and uh, I would say have a great week, have a great weekend. But hey, have and a great sh- and share tonight's episode with oh, all yeah. your friends and family. Yes. Tonight's episode will be on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, all the major platforms tomorrow. And then again, we'll be live with you guys tomorrow. I would say have a great week. Have a great weekend. But I'm going to say have a great night, and we'll see you tomorrow. Peace. Peace out, guys. And vote Ara.